Hello, we are back. It is Monday, um, Easter Monday, and Carlos here, and hello, Ariakas is here. The man. <laughs> hello. Yeah, uh, as I've named him in the uh, the preamble to the show, anyone who actually reads the description of the show, uh, he's a connoisseur of the game, uh, as uh, as I've called him. Um, He's uh he's got some real treats in store for us I hope today because because uh, he approached me about some stuff so uh, I assume he's got some spicy opinions he wants to share with everybody um, but we'll see we'll see you know that's that's the beauty of Easter surprises they're a surprise not just for you the viewers they're a surprise for us the hosts as well because we prepare for about five minutes before this happens. <laughs> He's come on. He's come on to apologise for Grusalog's behaviour because you know he's bringing he's bringing disrepute to the entire the entire nation and uh, you know not not sit, sitting quietly like all good Canadians should be. I like what he's doing. I like what he's doing. It's true. You know, I mean, distribution in Canada um, has actually improved a lot. We've gotten a lot of the newer releases, but there's a gap. Like we're missing Hedge Knights, we're missing um, Pikemen, we're missing Mother Dragons, and those are actually you know I would say all of them are pretty important pieces to have. So. I completely understand yeah. his frustration, especially because um, local stores in the area, which we'll put at the end, are going to be running events pretty soon. And, um, you know, he's been very faithful to the local game shop. He doesn't want to shop from abroad. He knows he can do it. People are commenting like, oh, there's this thing called the Internet and Amazon and blah, 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 as if he doesn't know. But he wants yeah. to, like, actually support his local game store. He's like, no, I want to buy it from my shop. And I'm going to just protest until it, it happens. And... Um, you know, I, I understand where he's coming from. Do you, buy, do, you buy, do you buy into the, uh, I won't call it a conspiracy theory, the idea that these were on the container ship that sank off of the East Coast? Do you buy, do you buy that? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, what I do know is that my local store, um, a, a new store opened up five minutes down the street for me, which is amazing. And um, I, I told them I love song. I would totally demo the game for you. You, know, you might want to look into stocking it. And he got in touch with uh, Asmodee. And this was uh, this was like half a year ago. And he was very excited to stock the game. And he said, oh, you know, Mother Dragons, they just told me he's going to be coming December 2021. And I was like, okay, interesting. And then when December 2021 rolled around, he was like, oh, they said it got pushed back a month. We'll get it January 2022. I'm like... Okay, if that's what they told you, that's great. And here we are in April, and still no Mother Dragons. Um, so it's it's sad times for dark players. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. It's, it's crazy to me to think that like it's it's already crazy to me to think that like stuff is late. But then it's like I'm sat here thinking, ha, huh, stuff's late. And then there's other people in the world who'd be like, yeah, stuff's really late. <laughs> um, that's that's approaching a year and a half since unofficial first release right now nearly um basically and then it's now over a year since the actual release which was uh what, february time last year when they were actually released March yeah and, and and the funny thing is too it's been so long for units like dragons and red clothes which you also don't have that they've been nerfed so badly in in, in over the year that you almost don't want them anymore. Like there was a time when I would have been two to three levels of errata now since since the yeah. uh, initial, <laughs> initial release. Yeah, yeah. 
I would have bought three units of red cloaks, I think, went on launch, and now I might buy zero. I mean, I'll buy one for sure, I think, just to paint. But like, there was a time when like three was on the menu, absolutely, and then it became two, and now it's like maybe one, maybe not. I don't know. I, I well, I just so. watched. Well, I just watched Jacob. <laughs> Jacob I know. Play triple, play triple red, <laughs> red cloaks and get absolutely yeah. decimated. So I watched uh, that too. It, it actually looked decent, and it was really neat because that matchup of. Um, Melisandre Baratheons into Lannisters, I think, is actually very horrible for Lannisters. And I couldn't see his exact list, but it seemed to be like a High Sparrow, uh, Barristan Selmy, Weirwood. So he had plus two morale for most of the game, I think. So he was, I think, not suffering too badly from the Melbomb. But eventually he got into combat with the uh, champ. What's that guy with the, Stag- the noble? Uh, the Stagnite Noble, yeah. 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 Stagnite Noble in the auto passing panic or like passing panic and taking two wounds from Sleeves and Shreen was really doing some damage. So. Um, I actually thought he had a chance. I was going to message my buddy Rich and be like, oh my gosh, he's got a build that plays well into Melbomb. And no, it, it, it fell apart at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's certainly something we'll move on to and discuss later on, I think. But uh, yeah, there's not a, lot of, uh, not a lot of hope, I think, at the moment. Um, all right. Anyway, uh, we'll deal with the first thing, which was going to be introducing who Ariakas is, if no one knows. Um, but he's kind of already done that a little bit so we'll do away with the niceties sod that and we'll jump straight into the meat and bones of potato today's potatoes which are the riders of high garden have actually effectively now been released they're up on anytime war games and i say that that they're up on anytime war games they're already sold out on anytime war games so for those of you who are like oh my god what riders of high garden released about two hours after they were released they were sold out so um Coming to a store near you soon. Uh, I'm guessing that the next place to check after any time will be the War Games PL or War Factory, the, the the Polish shops. They'll somehow manage to find their hands on them in several days, probably. Um, they're pretty good like that, the Poles. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, what do we think? What do we think of Riders High Garden? The six points, by the way, if anyone uh, doesn't know. I'll read the stats out for the sake of it. They're six move. They've got uh, four plus six and four lance. Uh, and it is the new lance. So it's plus two dice when they charge and sundering. Uh, five armor, six morale, and they're cavalry. Fairly straightforward. Yeah, I think, um, I think you know, my, my knee-jerk reaction is it sounds good. Moving six cav with, you know, 10 dice, lance, like, that sounds really good. And I've seen a lot of discussion on the internet, and I've seen a lot of discussion in the Discord about how it is good, but it's not really OP. Weakening tokens are a problem. Hindering's a problem. Um, and if they get hit back, they're kind of paper with Plypos. Um, so, you know, I think that uh, they seem pretty fair, and I would, you know, edge on like you know they're not they're not crazy strong they, but they have definitely potential for burst damage for sure 10 days lances never gonna be a bad thing yeah i think yeah. um i think they're a, a really solid unit and i do think that they are absolutely what barras have been looking for barras have been asking for especially the renly side but you know Ren, renly the renly side is so immobile doesn't even really have a range unit other than Stormcrow Archers. Um so you know, because Stormwatch uh you know, like not at short range, like they're 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 a they're a mixed combo unit again, like not as powerful or anywhere near as powerful as um Ranger Hunters, but you know similar same same kind of like mixed mm-hmm. mixed combo. Um so I do think that, that part 
is really, really important. Just that they are light lance cavalry fills a really important role in Barra's and Renly's side. I think that some people are like losing their minds over them because 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 the upper potential of what 10 dice could do is high. I mean, we are talking, we're talking four plus, we're talking, um, you know, like very easy to re remove their charge rerolls if you need to, or if you weaken them, then that's a huge impact on them. I think that the direct comparison to Screamers, which a lot of people are making, isn't very, like, they are practically the same unit in a different flavor. The Screamers do almost exactly the same stuff in terms of like averages, you know, average damage on the charge, average effect while engaged. These guys have a little bit more upper potential on the charge versus the Screamers actually having better sustain because although Screamers generate their vulnerable on the charge, you know, that's less important than the Lance effect. So they are very similar units. And the Screamers are not currently dominating the game at all. You know, they're not really that even important. They're one of the worst units that Targaryens can take. Outriders are significantly better. Most of the more expensive cavalry significantly better. And they do lose out in the 5-up, 6-up morale versus the 5-up, five 5-up five that the Screamers are bringing. So they're even less, you know, they're even more paper thin. There is, there is a discussion about whether or not they really needed to come down to six morale. You know, I believe like earlier previews, back when they had the old Lance rule, was that they were seven morale. Yeah. And I do agree that maybe maybe that morale change wasn't needed. I um, I have to say, I played a game against these guys today, um, playing against Basti, one of our patrons, who, uh, who wanted to try stuff out that was just released and things like this, trying less spells out. So I played some Free Fight Hero, Hero Box 3 stuff. Um, he played some some riders of high garden and also the high garden pikemen, um, and the riders are dangerous. You know they are dangerous. Their upper limit is big. Um, you know if if you roll well on the charge and you don't get the opportunity to weaken them, which not all factions can just throw one weaken out all the time. It's it is something that you can set up, but you don't have access to lots of tokens necessarily. Um, they are pretty dangerous, uh, especially if you're playing Elden Commander. And you're rolling 10 dice on round 5 with Critical Blow. Because that's potentially a lot of hits. Now, that requires yeah, you going like, to round 5. So, so I sort of like... I, I mean, people are talking about, mm -hmm. you know... Um, oh, but, you know, if I if I set up this vulnerable token, then yeah, they're amazing. Or, mm -hmm. or, if, or, you know, for example, if I give them battle endurance. Or a lot of people are saying, oh, and what about its upper limit with ours is the Fury? Like, oh, plus 1 to hit and stuff like that. But... All of them, like all of them, I'm like, this unit doesn't particularly combo well with those things. Already has the native sundering, so it's not an amazing hours of the fury choice, right? The plus one to hit is really good on ten dice. That part is good, but there are a lot of times that I've played hours of the fury for all three bonuses, right? So we are already throwing away one of our bonuses by having sundering. Mm -hmm. Yes, vulnerable is not particularly hard to set up, particularly with Elden, who can throw out the vulnerable himself. And then, as you mentioned, Battle Endurance, yes, it gives Crit Blow on round five, but round three, it gives rerolls to hit. Round four, it gives Sundering. Like, mm -hmm. they're two effects that we expect to be charging, and we expect to already have native Sundering. So again, this is like, you're basically saying, oh, imagine if I put this card on and we did this amazing thing. And I'm just like, they're just good cards. 
anything which has battle endurance and ours is the fury is amazing this unit isn't actually a brilliant conduit for those things. I, I disagree. I think giving units the giving the unit a reroll automatically, removing the need for the uh, thinking about terrain, which is the big thing. Obviously, you talk about removing rerolls from riders with terrain, which is what we're talking about there. Typically, um, giving them that on round three is pretty big. Because that means that the one, like the only real way to slow them down in that sense, is the weakened tokens. Um, that is that is a big thing. Yes, there's no benefit in round four, but really, you're not playing for round four, right? You're playing for round three in that case. Uh, maybe the three four transition, maybe, um, or the two three transition. Um, uh, I think it's fine. I I do think that they are better than screamers, not because screamers are bad necessarily. They are not good. And they are comparable in a lot of ways in terms of damage output. But the big thing is they fill a gap that was otherwise missing in Baratheons, which is why they're better. Um, I don't think they're going to be that... Like, they're not going to carry Baratheons, right? We'll talk about that later on. Ariakas. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, I think we can all agree that at least they are on the menu of things that we want to try. And, you know, um, they, got, they have potential... A, they're they're cheap, they're priced right. Six points is mm-hmm. easily slottable into your list, um, and the movement is huge too. Movement six means that you can charge a lot of other heavy cab and tie them up. You might get chopped up actually with a five plus save, but um, you can at least you know blunt some damage. Um, things like Thornwatch, even Thornwatch at six points, I am really. I mean, I'm I haven't used them, I haven't really seen them, but you know, I, I can I have a hard time taking Thornwatch at six points because I always think to myself, this could be Stormcrow archers impacting the game you know earlier so at least this unit you know is is a talking point that i, I might try it out i think i want to try it out and i want to see how they do mm-hmm. not dead and rival no no this is definitely no, they're def- they're definitely they've definitely got a place they've definitely um they're, they're, they're definitely I, i'll field them I'll, I'll i'll find a use for them i don't think that they're like this just game breaking hey like Renly Barras are now are now the Cav faction. Like, and yeah. and I'm like, mm, no. I mean, they're they're not that good, guys. Uh, there are some cards in the deck which are going to do really well for them, um, but they are just already the best cards in the Barra deck. Like, the the Barra deck has some great cards, and these guys aren't even the best use of those cards, in my opinion. The Pikemen, on the other hand, uh. That is actually a different. That is a different question because I do actually think that they are the perfect conduit for most of these cards. Yeah, definitely. I was going to bring up the pikemen. I think the pikemen five directly competing with wardens. Um, I have a question I, actually. Yeah, the pikemen. Sorry, yeah. I had to interrupt. But um, I saw on Facebook someone had both boxes. They had the uh, the lancers yeah. and the pikemen. Yeah. And was it a digital copy we saw that didn't have the loyalty um, on it, or was that the official card that didn't have loyalty? As far as I'm aware, the ones in that have been released have got Renly loyalty. So the ones actually in hand now, I believe, have Renly loyalty. Um, but saying that those, like the ones we saw many moons ago that didn't, that they may still be relevant. But um. But yeah, no, as far as I'm aware, the Riders of High Garden and the High Garden Pikemen, Spearmen, 
whatever they're called, um, they do have friendly loyalty. Um, but they're, they're they're good. They're good. We haven't we haven't seen we haven't we haven't got images for the pikeman, right? The spin. No? Uh, we got yeah. the card somewhere. Ooh. I can find the card. Do you want me to find the card? Yeah, there was a card somewhere. Yeah, I just don't remember if it was a digital card or was it like a. This isn't new. Like, this isn't new doing the rounds in a new, higher quality image the way this one is, right? No, no, no. Um, no, I can find this a... is a new image. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll yeah. get you this because this is actually the most important. Probably, um, for those of you watching, this is probably the most important kind of like image, if you will. But, um, but, but it's seven, seven dice. Hitting yeah. on fours with up with plus one hit per rank on the unit when they charge. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we're, so again, we're talking upper limit of ten hits. Actually, mm -hmm. more reliably so because three of them just are hits. They're not. Um, they're, they're not fifty fifties. The hit even with your rerolls, you can't get rid of that with weakened. You can't get rid of that with terrain. That is three solid hits. Plus then your seven attacks. No, you don't have Sundering, but hello, Elden, Elden's Battle Endurance. Hello, ours is the Fury. You know, these guys actually, like I say, seem like the perfect conduit for those cards. And they are going to do, you know, they're, they're a game, they're, they're a charging unit, but they are going to do so much better in sustain. Like the Lancers, they've only got their charge. Whereas these guys, particularly with Battle Endurance, actually have a great impact and great sustain. And I'll tell you what, for six points, if I could fit it, I'd rather have these guys with Hold the Line to then also give out five hits at the start of their next activation, coming in at six points. And don't forget that Hold the Line happens before your activation or like as you activate. So if you do kill somebody you can now effectively overrun and you can pick a new charge target, right? Yep. So I am much more, shall we say, concerned. I'm a Renly Barra player, so we won't say concerned, we'll say excited, about High Garden Pikemen with the Master Warden than I am about the Lancers. The Lancers are an important part. They are useful. They're a great support piece. But for six points, I think the Pikemen with a Warden could actually be a nightmare. If we're going to play high activation spam, it could effectively lead to you cannot play low armor activation spam against Baratheons anymore because these guys will just level through you with pure raw hits and damage. I will say that I do agree. I do think that that combo is particularly nasty. Um, there is one thing which is obviously weakening these guys at ranged is thoroughly possible on a four plus seven plus morale um on the high garden pike sure they get the one restore uh so you can knock them down a rank though with usually relative ease um without much resource investment knocking them down two ranks because you have to actually knock them down nine wounds at that point so when they attack they don't get the extra wound back uh to go up to the seven dice nine wounds might be difficult but I can easily see them having a rank taken off, so that does limit the effectiveness of that whole combo package a little bit. But I do agree that I think you have to... This is a unit you have to spend resources into saying, you are not coming into me on two or three ranks and being able to get that double activation. Because if you ever go, you know, go last, go first with that double and you're on three ranks, mm -hmm. I'm probably dead. 
Like, so yeah, I agree. And a six-point unit that draws threat like that um, and resource expenditure is that's good because at the moment I'm not spending resources on six-point Baratheon units. <laughs> you know, <laughs> spending them all on that seven or eight-pointer that they're packing, and then I just win the game because I've got nothing left. Because there's a bunch of wardens walking around in a small circle as they desperately try to march six or eight towards me. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Speaking of Baratheons, though, I was checking the stats like the other day, and I think Baratheons shot their second ranked behind Night's Watch. Baratheons, yeah. Baratheons are posting like the highest win rate at the moment. They <laughs> they are they, they've been they've been steadily they've been steadily picking up tournament wins. Uh, they're posting yeah like in 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 March they picked up a fifty five percent win rate. Funnily, like uh, like hey look hey by the way I did loads of changes to the site. <laughs> look how fast that page loaded. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but uh, interestingly, I, I've actually, you know, and I honestly, this is at no single person because I've seen it in loads of places. Loads of different people are like, hey, look, I like really helped Baratheons get up the rankings and stuff like that. Yes, everybody contributed. Yes, everybody, whatever. But like they are hundreds of people have been submitting hundreds of results every month. There are 10 Baratheon games every single day. Practically 15 Baratheon games submitted every single day. Everybody's winning with them now. I still don't think that... Oh, I don't know. I still don't quite put them as the number one faction myself. But they are absolutely in the conversation up there. And they are doing really interesting things with lower activation count. They are, they are, they are not entirely reliant on the eight activation count the way some other, other factions are. You know, effectively, all other factions... You want to be properly competitive, you want to be hosting 55, 60, 65% win rates, you're talking about an 8 activation or a 9 activation. Whereas Barras have been doing some work, even at 6. You know, it's not a meme, it's not a joke. Um, Champions of the Stag are a real problem for some lists out there, especially if we start talking about, like, Battle Endurance, Champions of the, Battle Endurance, Champions of the Stag. Like, what a fucking nightmare. Uh, all the yeah, I saw someone post. Uh, sorry, he didn't. No, I, I saw someone post up a list with double champions of the stag with double glory seeker, and I was like, "Yeah, I I don't know how you kill that efficiently, really, unless you got dragons." Yeah, well, nothing so, really kills that. That's exactly it, Eric. So you've pointed out the exact thing there, and it's it's this is the disappearance of dragons from the game, right? And I do when I say disappearance of dragons from the game, I do genuinely mean that dragons are not being played, not really, like. I've, every now and then I see like a dragon in a list and I'm like, oh, right, cool, yeah. But the vast majority of the time, I'm not seeing other dragons played almost at all. Something, again, that we could talk about, uh, we won't do today, but the appalling play rate that Mother of Dragons has right now. Um, the double dragon lists are not common at all. So you've got nothing that's killing these units. Um, I do think a lot of people might be getting baited into thinking champions aren't very good because you can kill them which is the whole point was no you couldn't kill them but you used they just didn't do anything when they existed whereas now it's like you people are trying to kill them because it's like oh, i'm gonna have to kill them there's only got four units and you go you know you can't do that <laughs> that's the one thing you shouldn't try just don't engage unless them you have Unless you have a very dedicated anti-armor unit, and yeah. I mean, like, it, I mean, it really has to have like precision and rerolls, or <laughs> sundering in the flank with vicious, or you know, it really has to have a keyword like sundering and a vulnerable token. That's not good enough, right? You have to have a whole 
wave of ways which you get through that two plus armor. If the answer is no, then just don't try. Yeah. And uh, and you know, like I, I think I think that's uh, that's interesting. You know, um, I, I believe. You know, I, I still believe that more defensive armies, healing-based armies, John, Night's Watch, um, you know, maybe even, like, uh, even Lannisters, if they could get there first with, you know, or Harden, Spam, or all these different things, you just set out against that list to say, well, I'll just play the mission. Then I, I do think, I, I still think you're going to pull that thing apart. Like, I'm I'm still, I'm not sitting here telling you. I'm gonna play six activation barriers. That ain't me, right? Like, but they are doing they are doing surprising things. They are doing consistently well across consistent events, consistent player based. It's doing uh, it's doing much, much, much better than it used to. And also, interestingly, I think it, it, some people seem to think that you know, like I I, I have like um, like I play high activation count. And that I want high activation count to be the best and only way to play the game. But honestly, I'm I'm really, really happy that two NCUs are, are, are being viable and competitive. And I'm really happy that lower activation counts are being viable and competitive because having more options, more ways to build your list, more things that you can do well with is just way better than when like you have to, you must play eight or nine activations or lose. Agreed. Way, way better that we're talking about a six-activation six list as doing well than us talking about, hey, look, somebody's come up with a new 10-activation list. Isn't this isn't this Stormcrow mercenary spam with dogs, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> isn't this thing? You know, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't, don't forget, he, he he's one of the OG creators of, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like, it, don't hate the player, hate the game, right? You know? The, the game has now hopefully slightly created a bit of a situation where these lists that people want to run with bigger, powerful units in still wouldn't go as far as to say expensive attachments, but you know, expensive units at least can be army centerpieces and can do well now. And that that is better. That is good. Knights, all descriptions are doing what you'd hope them to do. Eight point units are or in a lot of cases, really actually pull in their weight. And that's brilliant to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, Mads in chat saying there that he ran the, the double champions of the stag with uh, Eldon. Um, and then we saw Belisarius running double champs with Courtney Commander, um, with Loras Thornwatch, actually, as his third or fourth unit. Yeah, Courtney and Wardens. Um, you know, stuff like that, you know, just it's working and it's winning games for people and if it's winning games for people and it's working consistently which it is you know mads playing i'm guessing in denmark uh winning the event over there in denmark uh belisarius mm -hmm. this was in fabricates forge um in the us those are two completely different matters two completely different groups of players with almost very limited crossover between the two and it's the same stuff coming up top um I'm not going to put that down to a good player playing the list. We saw it in France. The six activation double champ list was doing well in France as well. Um, again, I'm not going to put this down to good players just putting a list and doing well with it. I'm saying it's a good list and good players are picking up a good list and the combo is working consistently across the board. Um, yeah. 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 
I'm, I'm just thinking about what, what I'm struggling against. And um, like my buddy, Anthony Thrandrill kicks my butt all the time. And it's because of Ranger Hunters. And I'm like, what would Ranger Hunters do against two plus save, five plus morale? Like probably not much, really. And, <laughs> um, you know, if you, if I'm playing my buddy in line a lot as well, Rich, and he has the Tywin bomb. And like, if you turn off the champions of the stag, who cares? They still have a great base profile, right? So they do seem to just innately have... Um, I guess the raw stats to deal with uh, some of the big, bigger threats these days. Yeah, definitely. The um, the biggest change to Champions of the Stag, in my opinion, because of course they did receive the change. The vulnerable is nice, but really it's that that movement down of to the five morale that they now have um, from six, right? Um, yeah, chunky. Yeah, that it's it just goes to show, doesn't it, that the break point between six and five morale is actually really not as simple as just one stat point in the morale. Like, we see stuff at 6 morale suffering, and it's not considered great morale. It's kind of like the baseline average, and it dies. You move it down to a 5, and all of a sudden, it just goes, that's actually hard to kill now. The yeah, eternal problem. I've found it myself, actually. Um, I've had to give a lot more value and a lot more thought into um iron resolve right i'm i found now obviously iron resolve has the dual effect of plus one morale and also minus one wound but units which i just would have dismissed you know like units that i'm like right cool there's a fight i'll win that fight and then or you know what i mean like that that's a losing battle uh but you know i just have to lose it really slowly or something like that if i don't factor in iron resolve or when you then add iron resolve to that unit it's entirely different. It's a totally different conversation. That the the damage taken is wildly different. You've got a significantly often lower chance to fail the morale check, and then that panic actual damage reduction. You know, you're effectively your average your average damage from a morale check is two these days, and you half that. Your your new average is one. So unless you've got some morale bonuses, Iron Resolve effectively says, like, I take almost no morale damage. And so it really, really does shift the the capability defensively of a unit massively. And a change of one morale is is, is effectively half of that effect, like, in, in reality. And anything with good armor... Is just hoping and looking for a way to also be morale resistant because having great armor doesn't do anything for you if precision and vicious comes along and puts one wound through and then you take five from the morale te test because of you know a load of cards and uh, and yeah I think that that one morale change to a unit that already has a two plus armor save is a really really monumental shift in the amount of damage that they take and the way that they sustain. You're saying I should be running Renly Rightful Air and Bolden with Chains of the Stag and then just not Invincible. Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> sounds, that sounds juicy. And then have a unit of Highguard and Pikemen running around with the Champions of the Stag just absolutely bashing people on the head. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm excited for Renly side stuff. It's a, whole, it's a whole shift in the faction's mentality. Actually, interestingly, I think Barra's as a whole Right, have actually at the top end shifted entirely between the two loyalties. In that, you know, in 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 the last uh, in the last edition, call it twenty twenty one. Before season one changes, I feel that 
Stannis was relatively low represented in general. Renly was the was the more common side, but the Renly side was incredibly sustain based. It was very defensive, um, lots of healing, and what you might pick up on the Stannis side is a very aggressive list, panic based. But actually, with the rise, of, particularly of Stannis in Queen's Men being an incredibly resilient unit, healing but every time they pass tests, all these kind of things. You've still got that panic damage element to them. Renly isn't a panic eye damage now, but Renly seems to have now, with these two new releases, taken up the mantle as the damage side of the faction. And Stannis seems to have flipped into the sustain side of the faction. And that's quite an interesting dynamic flip. The, you know, Renly still keeps a lot of healing and he does not have panic. Stannis is still heavily into panic-based mechanics. Those parts have not changed. They keep those kind of identities. But the more specific identities of which one is the aggressor and which one is about holding ground and taking ground, I think has switched uh, almost entirely diametrically with these two with these two releases and the changes to the Relaw side units, and that they've all become way more sustained, way more tanky, way more um, kind of like taken revenge, kind of big uh, Baratheon um, kind of uh, orders, tactics, all that, all that, all that good stuff. Yeah. So, uh, hot take. Um, I know I asked you earlier, and I, you know, there's, there's too much calculations. But if you could give me a ballpark, now Baratheons used to be like second worst, ra- you know, rated. Now they're second highest rated. And well, talking about, um, I guess the faction ratings with a, with, a, with a newer player in our group. And I was trying to say like, oh yeah, Night's Watch are on top. And I can't remember the current rating. I think it's like plus forty. I can't remember what that what the, what the number actually is. But I, I couldn't really explain what that meant. I couldn't explain what does plus 40 mean? Uh, and does that number even mean anything on its own? Or is, can you only use it as a comparative purpose? And then it got me thinking to myself, I wonder what the gap is today and what was the gap before the balance patch? And like, how has that gap shrunk? How would you even measure that? Would you measure the highest and the lowest to how it is now? Is it better to get the mean? And I asked you, like, it's, it's too much math. It's too much work to figure it out, but you would probably have the best kind of like ish as to what the change is like. Well, if um, the the easiest way to like understand what an ELO ranking means actually is if we go to the power rankings page. Um, wait, uh, is it power rank? We need to go to the yeah, player rankings page. No, power rankings. Where, power where, rankings the, uh, the graphs. where the chart yeah. is. There we go. So if there's just like a game, right, and there's and it, and it, and, it, and it's fifty fifty to win. If all we do is say that player one plays Night's Watch, and we know that they're currently a plus 33, is that what that means is that playing Night's Watch gives you a 55% chance to win the game. And that is roughly what plus 33 represents. That across all games and across all submissions, it may not be what they're winning with right now. It may, you know, it, it's, it's a very complicated way that it comes to that single figure which represents it all. But effectively, a plus 33 says that Night's Watch will win a game against anything 55% of the time. Outside of the miracle. Exactly, exactly. 
you know, if we if we if we then actually give them a specific faction to play into, we start to like you know we could play against neutrals, the worst performers, and we suddenly say, well, if we're talking specifically about the fact that they're plus thirty three versus like a minus forty something, right? Then we see that our win rate now is sixty one percent in favor of the Night's Watch. But Night's Watch against the average faction against an average thing is fifty five, and then we can get more and more and more specific. But this is the easiest way to understand what the numbers mean and is effectively you know i provided a way for it's a reverse engineering of the calculation that is done every time you submit a game um so that is kind of how it works and you can look at specific commanders etc they won't necessarily match exactly what that commander's win rate is because the elo also represents all sorts of things like how how like how, how many crushing wins versus losses versus minors versus all you know the, the the scale of the win is also accounted for and then one of the most important parts is how good is um are other players who are playing in that right like it's not the same if two very similarly matched players play each other versus if one person is just way way better and the other person is not as good <laughs> see you know like <laughs> I, Against the average player, I, I'm expected to win 90%, 90% of the time, right? But as soon as my opponent becomes Mickey, I'm sure that'll drop down to like, he, he's playing a terrible faction, but I'm sure this will drop down to about 65. Okay, 77. All right, but like yeah. still. <laughs> Vagoho in neutrals, where you'd expect him to be good, is terrible. Vagoho in Night's Watch, where you would never expect him, is good. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean, if we were to change that, for example, just to make it, I'll make us Lannisters equal, it's 61%. Uh, so that's the resting difference between us at the moment. Um, so so, so that, that that's the easiest way to, like, what does it actually represent? You know, that is the quickest way to find out of what of what's going on there. As, as to your second part of your question, those numbers are closer than they've ever been. Like, they really are. And, and that 55% win chance for, for Night's Watch in general, and even 61, right? That 60-40 versus the best faction versus the worst faction is better than it's ever been. That gap is getting smaller. The game is by measurement of the site. The, the, the analysis that it does on the submissions that you make, so it, 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 there's no subjective. There's none of my opinion here. Nothing, you know, just, just this is pure number crunching. The game is technically the most balanced it's ever been, and I think that's uh, a really, really good place for it to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I certainly feel that way. I um, was, I think I responded to a post um from a group in Edmonton, uh, Canada, and he was asking, "Oh, I'm starting Night's Watch, and I've been reading that they're like OP, and I don't want to play a faction that's OP." And you know, what do you guys think? And I said, "Buddy, like, don't feel bad. You know, like after the update." They got a ton of nerves. They're still very strong. They're still the number one ranked faction, but not oppressively strong. And like there, there used to be a time. I remember I used to play when I was playing Baratheons, and I'd be playing in Night's Watch. I'm like, this this game is virtually unwinnable if I yeah. play a competent yeah. player. Like I, I literally, like as much as I know about the game and as many tricks as I know, I, I literally don't think I can win this game playing as someone who's halfway competent. And I don't feel it anymore. <laughs> which yeah. which is where I, I actually feel I have a chance. Not not that it's unwinnable, but I actually have a chance to win. Mm -hmm. Um, which is where where I'm at. Yeah, I, I've been asked a number of times by a few different people recently. You know, like what 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 I think's like overpowered. What I think it needs to change. And 
I think that the list is incredibly small. Like, I really do. I think that there are very, very few things that I would choose to change at the top. Actually, for the first time ever, and I really do think this is the first time ever, my main concern is about things that are at the bottom. Like, there are still wild underperformers. There are commanders who there is almost no reason to pick, right? Like, and that is almost, you know, they obviously have some cards, they have some value, but I mean, like, off, off the top of my head, like Tywin, particularly with the new with the new instance of Kevin just being like everything that Tywin wants to be but better, you know, like I'm pretty sure Tywin's win rate is like 20% or something like that. Like it's embarrassingly low. Um, that isn't as bad for the game technically as things being wildly overpowered because when things are wildly underpowered, they generally don't see much representation. Oh, is. Um, his pick rate is... Yeah, I mean, he... <sighs> well, you know, like, the pick rates of everybody is low. Yeah, but yeah, like... So, okay, maybe 40%. Maybe he's better than, you know, he's better than I gave him credit for. But, like, effectively, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm now, for the first time ever, more concerned about things that are, that are, that are as competitive player speak. There's mm-hmm. very few redeeming features to them. There's very little value that they bring versus what the other options are rather than these things outlying at the top, right? Because I do think that outliers outliers at the top are a much bigger problem for the game because they attract the attention. They are the things that win and dominate tournaments. Um, And if they're winning, then their pick rate goes up. You'll notice I've included these days win rates and pick rates. Almost everything that got a buff no matter how much people want to say I play this commander because I like them, the commanders that got buffed, their pick rate like shoots up as soon as season one happens. Do you know what I mean? Their pick rate goes from like they they appear ten percent of the time and now they're twenty percent of the time at the faction's pick rate. And so power level and pick rate are so intrinsically intertwined with each other, and you don't really talk about and don't really see the things that nobody's picking. But I do think that they are actually the, the thing that needs to be looked at the most, in my opinion, which is a great place to be because it means we've come a really, really long way on there not any things outlying at the top. Yeah, I mean, anybody... it's oh, really sorry, I was gonna say, did anyone... Yeah, go on, go on. Oh, sorry, I was going to say, did anyone watch Sunday Slaughter's game, uh, Chris versus uh, Bob, where it was like Barrison and Rob and Barrison, like I don't, I don't know if he played a Barrison. It was so bad. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I could talk at length, uh, and as I'm sure Carlo could about like the Targaryen commanders. I mean, let's, I mean, don't get me wrong, I actually think Barrison has got some play, but come on, Belwas is even with the apparent changes to his triggers on his cards, like he's probably the only commander in the game where you, he has hardened, right? And putting him in your list as a commander makes your list worse. <laughs> and he brings the best keyword in the game. Um, yeah. He's... Uh... Too strong. Oh, Bellas is terrible. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, no, uh, it's very interesting. I do think, uh, you know, I do agree on the most part. I think there are some stuff that's out there that's... We don't talk about it very much, so... Um, and it's certainly something that is difficult to kind of explain, I think. But um, 
I do think there are builds out there that when they get given to a good player, the builds can become very oppressive. Um, yeah, straight up, you know, I'm going to say straight up, like, the free folk lists, where it's just Raider spam. Um, those are very oppressive in the game. I think that they are, and they do win um, in skilled players' hands. Now, is that the player or is that the list? I don't know. You don't see you don't see other players I mean, running the can't list. Win, you can't win in this game if you don't have some skill. Yeah, exactly. Like, you yeah. know, but like, yeah, it's it's a pointless argument. Do you know what I mean? Like, Agreed. Yeah. Uh, the, the game is incredibly skillful. Yeah. Until the two players who are playing each other are in the same ballpark skill level, lists don't matter. Right, yeah. like this game, so much is determined on the table. So much is about timing, positioning, understanding mm -hmm. the game, use of your actual abilities. You know, like, and 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 I mean, literal use of. You know, <laughs> I mean, some people just forget to trigger cards, forget to play abilities, forget to use orders. But then, you know, using them to their best of their capabilities is a whole nother level. Getting the right units into the right places, that kind of use of your ability. If you, Two players aren't in the same ballpark as each other. The chances that the list will overturn the difference very, very low. Yeah. But once two players are very closely matched, any level, beginner through to experience, that's when lists really, really start to become very, very important. Once list design, unit full efficiency, and all that can be the difference maker at that point. Mm -hmm. And uh, and yeah. Just, just, just because we went past it. By the way, do you know who still has a great win rate? And I mean, great. Mother of Dragons. <laughs> he is still winning. Sixty percent of the time. She has only played eleven games in the entirety of March, but um... <laughs> her pick rate has dropped off a cliff. <laughs> but to all those people who are like. Why is Mother of Dragons still at the top of the rating? Or, like, why is she not falling? Or why is she... Because she still wins games. She wins 60% of all her games. If anything, March was a better month for her than the 2021 pack, <laughs> somehow. <laughs> um, That's... So... It is, it I is was interesting. Surprised. I was surprised myself to see it. You know, like, I didn't think it would be that high. I was also surprised to find that her pick rate only used to be 1.9%. Like, that's actually really, really low. That is 1.9% of all games. One in 50 games include Mother of Dragons. Um, but she she only represents, or used to represent 13% of the pick of the faction. That means that, like, people are, you know, one only one in eight lists was Mother of Dragons. Rogo is the most overpicked thing you have ever seen. He represents 65% the entire Fucking faction. hell. It really used I mean, to be fifty percent or close to. Yeah. Wow. Drogo, Drogo is. I mean, if somebody plays Targaryens, two out of three games that everybody in the world who is submitting games, playing tournaments, all these things, two out of three games are being played with Drogo. If you play Targs, no, unsurprisingly. unsurprisingly. I mean, it's, it's, so many reasons. Well, you say unsurprising, but there are there are there are eleven there are eleven commanders. Yeah. You take the other 10 commanders <laughs> that Targaryens have, you add all of their games together, you are half as many games as Drogo. 
I mean, it just goes... That's obscene. It just goes to the show that all the highest... other commanders are crap compared. The next highest use rate is like 25% within the faction. Outside like... of like outside of the more popular neutral because they only have four choices. But like even like Eddard who represents like, mm. you know, like he, he is way, way overpopular. Yeah, like he's, you know, there he's there at 28%, 29% of the faction. And he is by far a standout of one of the highest uses. When you look at you know the the representation from the various factions of who's the most common picks, they're half as popular as yeah. Drogo. Half, less than half as popular. It is mind-boggling how much he represents what Targaryens are. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised he's the number one pick. I guess you're right. the The rate is is crazy high, but like you know, he's like he's a he's like the coolest character probably in the term. And uh, B, you know, his ability is just so good. Like. Expert duels I'll tell you why he's cool. Because he barely ma- he doesn't make it into the, any of the series that are bad. <laughs> we only have good memories of Drogo, that's true. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Untainted. Untainted by the later series. Yeah. He, um... And once you start playing him, I was gonna say, once you start playing him too, you realize that like as you mentioned last week, you know, part of the great thing about his card is that they cycle, right? And uh, I I'm on board, you know. I I Oh, I used to feel bad drawing Udderbot and being my example. I'm like, wait a second, this is actually as good as it gets, right? This is getting me deeper into my deck. So as much as I don't want to use this card, it will get me deeper into my deck and cycle through. So he's he's kind of easy to use. He's it enables so many cool combos, and um, yeah, he's he's a solution to a lot of problems with that auto wound, killing off hardened attachments, et cetera, et cetera. Like it, it's not surprising. And, and the ability yet. which I've come to have new newfound uh, fondness for Iron Resolve, like also just wherever he ends up. You, you you increase its tankiness to morale based damage by a significant margin. Yeah, Iron Resolve and Blood of the Dragon don't take damage from panic. Yeah, no. Yeah, that's that's the the ultimate sadness is when I was playing against Carlo's Drogo lists was it was like can I kill his two units before that comes out? Because if that comes out onto Drogo and I manage to catch the vets, it's like oh yeah, well done, I killed the one thing I can kill. And now I can't kill the fucking Flayed Men. Or I kill the Flayed Men and it came out onto the veterans. I'm like, oh, Jesus, now that's going to be harder than it needs to be. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's really sad when Drogo gets that card. It's really sad. But back to the... Yeah. Topic of the day, anyway. Barras have been doing great. Yep. And they are already really flying up the rankings. And... The, we will just have to see how much impact the High Garden Riders, the Pikemen have, whether or not this is the new big bad. It, it's, I, I, I don't think it quite is. It's not the new, it's not the new meta, but you cannot at all write off barriers anymore. Bar- barriers are way up there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And Barras were already like the most popular faction before that. How popular are Barra? Is it far too much? Is the answer? They are. I think they're the most popular. Eighteen percent. So hang on, what's the? Yeah, that's significant. They I mean, represent you... about a, si- a sixth of all games. One in six. Yeah, of I was eight gonna factions. say we can only assume that there's seven factions in the game, so it's going to be about fourteen percent, right? So yeah, they're they're more than a seventh, um, which is pretty big. Uh, and that's not even including the fact that neutrals can be played. So 
Does anyone play neutrals? Probably not. Um, anyway. I think the neutral pick rate is 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 like three four percent. Yeah, I'm looking now because this. Yeah. Yeah. The um the the Tycho nerf to five points was such a big deal because it also limited their NCU choices. Um, mm -hmm. And Rus Commander is is like one of the best commanders. So if you use him, you're also playing another four point NCU out of the pool. It's it's really tough. You know, I think they're actually almost. Almost playable, but like now with like two or three NCUs at four points only, it's really hard to build um, a good list. In my opinion, I think they're one of those factions that can put out decent lists if you forget what other people are like fielding. You can put a decent list on the board and go, "I am happy with my two list pair." I put it on the board, and if your opponent brings something that your lists aren't quite teched to. Like, you sat there maybe with, um, like, Bolton, Blackguard or something. They, they, like, oh. they bring Hard and Spam. Yeah, they bring Hard and Spam. You're like, oh, fuck, I can't deal with this. You know what I mean? Or Mel. Um, or Mel. Or yeah, Mel. Mel like, I'm just going to get blown up the board. Or, or they bring uh, a, quite a heavy ranged army, and you've got one unit of flayed men. You're like, right, well, that's going to have to do all the work while my entire rest of my army gets shot to shit out of while none of their defensive abilities work. Um, so, yeah, they're just one of those factions that I think if you... You can't just put a neutral list on the board and expect to have a nice game against someone who brings another army because there's a chance they'll just counter you so heavily. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh... God, it's sad, isn't it? Anyone who's watching this on live stream can actually see the reflection of red light on my face from all the losses there. <laughs> um, all right, anyway. So, yes, uh, that is Faction ELOs. Um which I know you wanted to talk about, kind of like on and off Ariaka. So yeah, that... I, I yeah. want to talk about something related to that as well. And I've, I've uh, I kind of like like typed in the chat a couple weeks ago about it, but um, I'm really confused. Confused about uh -oh. Lannisters. I am, um, and I'm not. So I play my buddy Rich all the time, and it's it it's been a struggle. You know, I've seen him struggle um, get some wins in. And he's a great player. I think he's really like for like he knows how to play the game. He knows all about the flow of the game. So it's not a skill question, in my opinion. Um, and on paper, I'm like, okay, yes, Porkel's got nerfed, Redcloak's got nerfed, Joffrey got nerfed. So I understand they took some nerfs, but they got some pretty significant buffs with Castle Knights and Crossbows. They're pretty insane, in my opinion. Armor and the hitting on threes for six points is, I think, a really, really good package. Um, and Mountains Men, I think Mountains Men are also shockingly good. If people haven't played against um, Mountains Men, like, they have actually decent sustain um, if they get into combat relatively relatively healthy. But um, the, the facts don't lie. I've played against him. He, he, he's losing games consistently. Um, Lance in general losing games. And if I asked him, what do you think it is? And like, he's kind of thought about it and said, you know, I just don't feel like I have a lot of tricks anymore. Like, I don't feel like I have any cool things. Like, every other faction yeah, like, cool thing going for it. I feel like the Lannisters have become really, literally a one-trick pony. Yeah. Is it the Tywin Bomb Lance pony? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, okay, maybe that one's a new trick. You could call it one and a half. It, it works, you know, like... Yes, Knights Castle Rock with Tywin, but I mean, like that—that's a fourteen-point combo. Like, what, what, what are you killing for fourteen points? Like there, yes, 
yes, you can go in against something hard, turn it all off. But the one trick that they have is they have panic sustain, like right, like like healing based off their panic damage. But the problem is, is that the game is so overwhelmingly, or at least every other faction, or the large majority of the factions, they're building against counter panic damage anyway, because panic is such a key part of the way so many factions are putting out damage. It can be such an explosive part of free folk. It can be such an explosive part of um, Baratheon's R'hllor. It can be so key to every faction and their damage out there that you have to be prepared to play into panic. It's not a specific anti-Lannister list to build something which is very panic resistant. It just has a byproduct of you are a Lannister counter by, by coincidence. And I feel like Lannisters, more than just the fact that they're like mediocre, they are playing into what is effectively a hard counter to themselves because that is the way the meta has built itself. The game has lent itself towards incredibly good panic-based resistance, that the new average morale is six rather than seven is such a key part. I'd say it's average anything, five almost. That's yeah, the thing. Okay, I mean, it's not an average of five, but if you look at the units that people are relying on and building and bringing, five is incredibly common. Seven is very unlikely. If you bring seven, you're now a bad morale unit. And if you're eight, you almost don't exist. So I think that that's their problem, which is that the game and the army list building mentality of everybody is naturally counter Lannister. Yeah, he's he's been experimenting with like forgetting about the panic and more relying on just your units. So he's running like Tyrion double crossbows and just trying to get lots of shots off, and um, it's been it's been pretty effective. Uh, but you know, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the units that got buffed. And I'm like, these are good units. You know, I wonder why they're suffering so badly. Like, and, and to me, the portal of change. Yes, you know, they are they're definitely a weak four point unit, but they're a four point unit, and a lot of factions would die for a four point unit. You know, I think if mm -hmm. they made them same stats for five, I think, I mean, this is a debatable point. I think they'd be worse at five points with the yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I, I, so, so I guess you're, you're, what I'm hearing is you feel like their their main strength being panic stuff. The game has just you know evolved a deal with panic. So one of their one of their one of their tricks is really ineffective. I, I also think that they're they're in they're a, they're a very high roll faction right now because panic is a high roll thing, and they double down on the concept that their panic is also their sustain. They have they do have. When pan when their panic is going well for them, they have great healing. High Sparrow NCU, brilliant healing, fealty to the crown, can be an absolute, you know, can be combined with High Sparrow for a start. You can fail one panic check, take two, three wounds, and then a Lannister unit suddenly goes, poof, it's got six, seven wounds back, right? Like all in an instant. And the the combo and the occurrence of it. Can be game changing. It can win Lannister. Can win the Lannister player games, but it's been pushed into a 
place of being really, really unreliable because everybody's, you know, panic resilience has become the point where you want to reliably be passing. No matter how big the negatives are, you are reliably passing, and therefore the fail becomes the unreliable part. It becomes a thing that the Lancers have to hope for rather than a thing that is, like, expected. If you can push a panic test to be 8+, plus, 9+, plus, you can expect your opponent to fail. But the thing is, is that the Lannister players, they're pushing the panic test to be to be a 7, which means that, like, you're still not even 50-50 to get this thing to fail. You're still, like, 60-40 that they're going to pass. And this was you putting in Vicious or you putting in some big modifiers. This is you making them take a minus three test because they're obviously hanging out near a weirwood tree. All these things kind of like conspire against them to mean that their core mechanic is very unreliable. Whereas most people's core mechanic that they want to rely upon is repeatable, reliable, and and, and they can force it on their opponent no matter what happens. Lannisters will always be able to pick up wins. They'll always be able to get those extreme situations. but. I just think that they're into a place where, where you, you're one, you're one series of like panic tests that you put everything that you had into. You stuck down your hear me roar. You stuck down your vicious. You did all these things, and they passed the test. And you're just like, well, that's game over. Like that, that, that was my shot. That was my chance. Um, people are saying so. Um, Jesse's saying picking terrain sorts of works. Against Lannisters, two quartz bars, two weirwoods, so they cancel out. I think that's a bit generic, though. Um, I don't ever often pick quartz bars, uh, sorry, uh, weirwoods against Lannisters. I'm much more inclined to pick a bog or something like that. Um, remove the rerolls, they have zero method of getting it back um, in the traditional kind of lists that we see from Lannisters. It ruins Knights of Castle Rock all over. Uh, I actually think the quartz piles ruin Knights of Castle Rock all over. I think it's a it's a counterintuitive pick for Lannisters. Um, and I actually do, I, I do think there is a lot to discuss around picking terrain that's actually good for your faction. And it's not about what it gives you, but it's about how the terrain takes things away from you. And Lannisters having, like, Knights of Castle Rock having their rerolls taken away, and then they're sat in a corpse pile, I'm like, affecting you just as it's affecting me. Your morale's not that good. You're not sitting at a base 5. You're sitting mm -hmm. at a base 6. You're now on a 7. If I have any flank, any morale negative, I'm just going to do your panic, as we've just been dis discussing, better than you are. And, oh, you've got that to supremacy? I don't give a shit. You're never going to be out of pop it when you're on max ranks, because I'm never going to make an attack that I know is going to be like, oh god, I'm going to only do one wound. Aren't I unlucky with dice? No, I'm just not going to do that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I. But for me, for me yeah. though, you can also boil it down to one particular thing, right? There are there are all subtleties. Yeah. There are all these things, which is to me the cascading effect of. Yes, poor fellows are technically probably right at about four points. But Lannisters have moved from, in my opinion, being an 8-activation faction to becoming a 7-activation faction. The things that you want to buy, the units that are good, the things that you can rely upon to like stand in the battle line and, and, and not just get wiped out by archers or by a, by a cavalry charge or something like that, right? Lannisters can only afford... To play a 4-3 or maybe a 5-2 now 
Whereas previously, they could very reliably do it at a 5-3. Yeah. They don't have any movement mechanics outside of fielding loads of knights. And that means that they're not just a 7-activation list, but they're also a slow 7-activation list. They are an immovable, Im immobile 7-activation list. And them dropping off an absolute cliff in win rates, I believe, and, and the numbers back it up too, is the difference between playing at seven activations and playing at eight activations. Yeah. Players might not necessarily have themselves moved from seven to eight or, you know, eight to seven. But the point is, is that if they were previously playing at eight and now they're still playing at eight, their eight has gotten way, way, way worse. If they have moved to seven, and that is a normal move because their eight has become so much worse, they're now feeling and understanding the problem of having only seven activations and being out-activated by the vast majority of you know, good list builds out there against good opponents. Again, we're assuming, like we're, we're talking about two players who are relatively in the same skill ballpark here, which means that they're probably writing lists that are similar to each other, except that if you're playing with a faction that still has the ability to field eight with ease, maybe even field nine activations, this is what's really stinging Lannisters. And it's something that they didn't have to think about or face before at the top echelons of list building. You could just begin a list with, hey, here's three poor fellows. I've still got points to spend on really expensive, powerful tools and do some really cool stuff here. Now, if you put three poor fellows in, you know that this list like is on a ticking time bomb of like how long until it just like gets killed. I will also point out to people as well, if you look on the stats site, um, Gregor, I believe, is still the most picked commander in Lannisters. And, like, this this is just, this, this shows you something, right? And it is very important. Gregor, this last month, has had by far the largest pick rate, uh, outside of maybe Roos. Roos is up there as well. But he's sitting down at a 37% win rate. 37 is out of that 40-60 range that we'd like. Roos is much more comfortable at 52%, uh, the highest picked. But that's like that's okay. But actually, it's Tyrion who's down at only 40 games, at, you know, very very mild amount. He's the third most picked, but he's actually sitting at a relatively comfortable 60% win rate. So Tyrion is not doing terribly when we look at win rate he's not beating lists above him they're not beating lists above them their elo is dropping but they aren't doing well again to the i mean gregor as well he's just trash in lannisters and 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 with Tyrion myself i'd point to uh three inch shift yeah right and, and also like activation based um you know like kind of you know, yeah. tricks, activation-based tricks, right? Because this is the problem. If you move a faction down into seven activations, you have to give them mobility somewhere else. Otherwise, they're just going to get charge blocked, right? Like, it, it, at the high skill levels, at that really high level of competency, people are just going to maneuver their extra unit to, like, block a facing when a really important charge comes in. Or they're going to... Um, you know, they're, they're going to control the spacing and then they're just going to close the gap after you finish activating and then they'll come in and charge you in the flank. Like, 
that you've got nothing to reply with. So movement is going to be incredibly important. And again, obviously, if if you he doesn't have the same kind of mechanics where you're able to like you know move activations all over the place, do whatever he wanted, but still manipulation of those activations is going to be incredibly important if you're playing the lower activation count. They are feeling the inverse effect of what has happened to Baratheons. Baratheons went from really, really struggling to play at eight. Yes, you can technically play at eight with Baratheons. You can kill Dragonstone Nobles. You can do all sorts of stuff. But it's a crap army. And you have to be very, very sure about why you fielded eight in 2021. That can now be said the same for Lannisters. You have to know why and exactly what the point of you fielding eight the Lannisters is because it will have huge weaknesses. But I would say that since Lightbringers became six, since um, you know, like Baratheons gained a whole range where they can actually now field eight. That's a whole separate discussion for the fact that their six activations are doing well too. But that move to Baratheons to be able to field eight is incredibly powerful in what has shifted them right up the win rate, right up the rankings. And the inverse has happened to Lannisters. They've been pigeonholed back into seven to feel good about the units that they field. And, and that results in less wins. It's, you know, really five to 10%. You can see a five to 10% shift in a faction's win rate as soon as it moves from seven to eight activations. Interestingly, just responding to chat there, Bruce, a um, uh, fellow from Canada, uh, says uh, Gregor can't bring the mountain that rides, which is part of the reason that there's not good. And the mountain that rides in particular has a grand 55% win rate for Lannisters. Like, he is the best unit the Lannisters can possibly wield. Uh, we talked about why that is before, but a four-point unit that's effective at its points value, um, coming in at that kind of thing, yeah, yeah, obviously very important for list building and for play. Um, yeah, so straight away, that's there. And then you look at the worst units. Now, these are obviously by win rate that I've just been looking at these rather than just ELO. Because I interestingly, believe Mountain City Men, Watch, I believe yeah. Lannisport City Watch are, are embarrassingly bad. Lannisport City Watch, they have only had 15 games. So, like, the, the sample size in March is tiny. Um, but they have a 20% win rate. 20%. Like, that's I don't even know why. Shite. In it, they should be good. Uh, they should be okay. The, the, it gets, it gets better. It gets better, right? Because, like, that's 15 games. That's the hell it is, right? They're coming at 55 games, so much more respectable. You know, three three times, any four times as many games. Their win rate sits down at 33%. That's shockingly terrible. And then Pyromancers at 32 games, you know, split the difference. Uh, they're coming in at 31%. These are all units. I mean, Pyromancers were widely considered as getting a massive buff from 2021 through to... Um, oh, from 1.6 to 2021. And their highest win rate was during last patch in, throughout the entirety of 2021 before Season 1 dropped, where they managed to reach a heady heights of 37% win rate over 400 games. That's the best they ever were. Now they're shot. They're paper. Yeah, they're paper, unfortunately. I, I do agree with Carl as well in the chat, which is um, Lannisters really have had their faction identity stolen by a lot of other people, right? Like, and I really like at its absolute core, they are not the best panic faction 
you know, like Relore actually does it significantly better. I mean, I would I would argue that that Free Folk do panic better than Lannisters. Um, they're they're not the best control faction. Uh, anybody can bring Roos, and Roos is the best control commander in the game. Um, and you can combine that with all sorts of other people. Um, yes, not in their base decks. Like multiple other factions get counterplot. Like I'm not gonna lose my mind over it. Counterplot's not an amazing card, right? But if anything ever said core faction identity, it was counterplot. The equivalent would be if commanders start giving endless horde to other factions. Like endless horde is so intertwined with what what being free folk is, right? To like to, to bring more units back, to be the horde faction, to be to be the you know what I mean like to to have to have this disposable endless troops right that is what free folk represent right we can we can argue about whether or not that's their best build their best whatever but that is their identity that is what they are supposed to be we can talk about the fact that Greyjoys are somewhat stealing it right mm-hmm. but to this day so far they at least haven't stolen endless horde right but everybody and their dog has been given counterplot. Courtney gets counterplot, and he can re- recurse it. He can bring it back. He can use it better than Lannisters can use. So I just like Lannisters have so little that makes them special or unique or good right now. I would say Highwing is actually like I, I hate him. He's six points. I don't pay six points for NCUs, right? He's not my jam. But Tywin is about the only thing that makes Lannisters at all unique. That level of shutoff does not exist anywhere else in the game, but that's not enough to sell me that whole faction. That one NCU for six points who does this once per game effect isn't isn't buying it for me for Lannister. Yeah. Some people saying that maybe the Pyromancers might be good against these champions of the stag builds. True. Maybe. You know what? Seven activation Lannisters probably fine against six activation Baratheon. But the problem is, is that the Baratheon player, if you're running Pyromancers, they just go. So I won't pick my cavalry list. I'll just pick my Stannis list, and then you just die, <laughs> and you go. Ah, but I've got my poor fellow Spam list as my alternative to land, and the the Lannister player, the the Baratheon player goes. And <laughs> like that doesn't beat my status list. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. care that you picked the counter because it's still not good. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Nah, that's yeah, yeah. sadness. <laughs> um, yeah, two list format. That's actually the other thing as well. Two list format, I think, actually just fucks Lannisters because they don't have two lists. They have one, um, and variations on it. Um. All right. I do think that if you're looking for success, you need to pivot away from panic. I think yeah. you should look at Warrior Sons. I do think that Warrior Sons are probably one of your best performers. Yeah. Um, crossbows. I really like Lance Crossbows. Yeah, points. you know what? Crossbows, even going back to the pure classic shooting into your own combat to generate new tokens, you know, that kind of stuff. I would, yeah. I would look for raw damage outputs rather than panic and just hope that and when panic happens that you can trigger your cards right like stop it from being your core identity and move it into a nice to have kind of part because i think panic is just way too unreliable interestingly uh 
Kingsguard come in only 11 games played, but 70% win rate <laughs> over their uh, 11 games. So Joffrey Commander is winning. I don't understand that at all. Um, Just looking at Carlos' face. <laughs> fucking awful. <laughs> um... Uh, but Lance of Crossbowmen are sitting at a comfortable 50, just over 50% win rate um, of all the units out there. High pick rate. Uh, Knights of Cassidy Rock are just under. They're at 49%, um, close to. So definitely not far away. Warrison's dropping down to 42%. So you are talking moving outside of those rooms. Don't believe everything you read on the internet, guys. Uh, <laughs> but Poor Fellows even, like, Poor Fellows still coming <laughs> in. is not good. <laughs> Poor fellows are still coming in at fifty-one percent win rate. You know the the list building opportunities that they bring in is not bad for Lannisters. Um, four yeah. point units aren't bad because they're four point units. It's as simple as that. Um, so maybe poor fellows with mountain that rides Tyrion, maybe a unit in Isaac Rock and some crossbowmen, and just start running around shoot. I actually think shooting units at the moment. I was gonna come on this much later on. I think shooting is probably the most important thing you can have in the game right now because there are so many defensive abilities that rely on melee attacks when i say defensive abilities i'm also talking about cards here um and they synergize a lot of melee attacks happening and cards play off the back of that so i think ranged attacks even what we saw in 2021 which is a range dominant meta people kind of went crossbowmen are bad now let's not use range attacks anymore and I think that all of the defensive infantry units we're seeing, the likes of the Relore Faithful with the Stagnite Noble, um, the likes of even Queen's Men with the healing and things like this, any of those types of lists from Baratheons, um, any of the stuff we're seeing from well, I think I think Starks, that the awful gunline list I think that the awful gunline list stopped any other faction ever really properly exploring and developing Maybe. its own ranged identity, right? Because what was the point? Yes. You were just going to get shot off the table, so I think that there, there is there is there is a lot more to be explored there. There is there is a there 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 is a movement that be made in that direction. I found from my own personal experience that like there's been an overcompensation into think things with very low armor, um, who are very very susceptible to being shot. You know there there is. There is there is this movement towards things like you know like streamers, Dothraki veterans, like all these things where we're like, God, look at its hitting power. Look at what look at the damage it can do without any real thought. And you know everybody's like, it's got six morale, that's great. And like everybody's like, five five of armor, yeah, that's great, it's fine. I love five of armor. And I think that if people just start to bring a bit of volume firepower. I'm not talking about spam, I'm not talking about gunline, you know, just like definitely one ranged unit, possibly with brawn, you know, to, to open up the opportunities to shoot two, three times in a round. Maybe you can bring two if you're really strong on them, you know what I mean? Like talking about Ray Joey Bowman, of course, we'll, we'll bring two, but call that one and a half because you know, it's pretty cheap spam at that point. But use of Stormcrow Archers, use of Dothraki Outriders, all these kind of things. I think there's a lot of value there, and I think that um, I, I think that it's a slightly unexplored space. I'm, I'm not going to say I, I I don't think that there's any secret tech pride or anything like that. I just didn't think it's as widely used as it could be um, because there's been an overcompensation towards like hyper aggressive melee damage. 
Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I was, it's a grounding theory that I built my free folk lists around that you know, Carlo, which you uh, kindly said were oppressive to play against uh, when we played last. Um, and it's that there's overriding theory of like I'm actually not interested in doing that many melee attacks. Like I'm naturally not because uh, I don't believe in the game right now that there's that much benefit to a melee attack occurring for the attacker unless it's a knockout blow um, against a lot of stuff. Like, I'm, what's the point in attacking Queen's Men? I'm just going to get them to get cards back. They're just going to heal. They're just going to give tokens out, whatever. What's the point in attacking Warrior Sons particularly? I'm just going to give them a faith token, probably. What's the point in attacking something with Horrific Visage? I'm just going to die. Um, you know, there's no point. You might as well just not bother, retreat off, and go, right, well, I'll shoot you instead. That's with another unit. Um, but it, that depends on the units you're playing and the lists you're playing. Um, anyway, that, yeah, Lannisters, not in a good spot. Um, are you, are you now convinced, Ariakas, that it isn't just rich, uh, it isn't just rich being a bit shit at the game? It is, in fact, that Lannisters are just a bit shit in the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, it is, I can definitely see that. Outside of the panic for mechanic, what else do you have? And it's not much, I guess. It is. It is a sad day. Um, it is a very sad day when other factions like we talk about panic being an identity, but like panic was a method of them expressing their identity of control and about you know whittling things away and being able to eventually win these kind of games. And they're just not even that good at it. So yeah, um, that disappearing yeah. has gone. Um, so yeah. Uh, all right, we do have another couple of topics though. We've kind of already talked about one, but this is um, this is kind of like uh, a little bit different. I'm gonna hope that I press the right button here. Uh, there we go. Yes, I did. Hey, hey, and it links into what we've just been talking about a little bit um, in terms of Lannisters. Uh, but we've got basically a question that you posed, Ariakas, which is um, demoing the game. So picking up lists from starter boxes. How would you actually aim to build? demo armies that's what you wanted to know that was your question yeah yeah because uh like i said there's a local shop that opened up nearby you know hardcore gw players and um i'm like you know there's a better game out there guys <laughs> as much as i i do dabble in 40k from people uh i would love to expose uh, the community to support. i am i've actually over the course of the pandemic acquired every single faction and have all eight infinity stones <laughs> Hang kind on, of did you mad. Say and all eight. Can I just? I count. I count neutrals. I count neutrals. <laughs> well, that was Ariakas, is uh, the guest on for this week. He won't be returning to the show. <laughs> <laughs> and no. um, I was thinking to myself, how would I, how would I demo the game to these these players? And I thought, you know, um, it's probably best to build it from the battle box uh, or the starter boxes. I guess I can't do neutrals and can I? Because um. <laughs> And I was like, you know, maybe I should do like 30 point lists. And I started calculating my head and it, it, uh, it, for some of the factions, it's quite difficult. And then I thought maybe you don't have to do exactly 39. One's 20, 30, one's 29, one's 31. No big deal. The point is show the game, show them the mechanics. You know, you should probably run two NCUs, one NCU. I mean, those are the kind of things I was, I was thinking about. And, and the faction that gave me the most trouble is actually Free Folk. I think their starter box doesn't really well represent their faction you know and it's like do you uh do you um cheat on that one and throw in some spear wives or another unit to make it more 40 
what, what do you guys think about that? I mean, I can I can talk at length about the free folk box, uh, and yeah, I did. Not... No, I won't. But I just go back to a simple <laughs> simple fact that I told people at the start of twenty twenty one that the new player experience of free folk buying a starter box and playing it out of the box, they will enjoy it. They will enjoy it just like they will any game, any faction. But you very quickly realize that if you want to have any kind of form of list building, that you have to buy something else because one of your cards basically doesn't function because you've only got two raiders. So you can't play Endless Horde in the early parts of the game, which is, you know, it it baffles my skull. Like, and I do mean this, like, genuinely, that there well, is a card... They, it does have the secondary effect that they can re, they can put, put one of their units back right. on, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's but not like, like it's an entirely dead card if you don't have it. It's just the optimum way to play it is early game and to bring on raiders. But, like, you know... Players, the reason I say... I mean, and to be honest, they don't have particularly good units to replenish with it. Raiders are the best unit they can put back on. You yes. know, they could put on their one trappers, but, but like... No, so yes, my, yes, yes. my fundamental but problem it... with it is, it's, it's actually more than just that, is that the whole point of changing a lot of the cards was to make sure that there were no dead cards most of the time. Like, cards could always do something, and that card for a new player is dead for, like, nearly half the game. They're not going to get a unit killed in round one or two, I hope. Um, even a new player, because they just like, the person they're playing against isn't going to kill things that fast either. Um, but, but but the free but the free folk actually they have because they're because they're like fourth unit is actually two giants, right? Yes, like yeah. it, it's one unit box. It's actually twelve points. Yes, their other core units are like some of the cheapest. You don't have to field. You get five units. You yeah, could you field a single raider and keep a raider off the board. Yeah, you can. Yeah. Like, at 30 points, right? Like, a yeah. lot of other factions, they're struggling to even get to the 30 points with nothing else. They effectively have to use, like, well, not struggling. Like, they definitely can get there. There's some things that they normally leave out, normally attachments, but they don't have, like, very few variants. They have to, like, take every single unit that they can. They take all their NCUs, and then it's like, well, I can afford, like, one of my one-pointers or something like that, right? Like, I do think that, Free folk are a little bit different to the rest, but nearly all factions, starters, they, they come in relatively nicely at 30 points. And I think that 30 points is a, is, a, is a fine and great starting point for the game there. You know, you might as well bring two NCUs for most of these factions. I think that if I was introducing people to the game, getting them using the tactics board is one of the key, like, one of the key selling points to the game. You don't have to sell. You don't have to sell people's problems on like what happens when you have six NCUs. There's always a zone open they can choose. You know, the game is almost as the as the designers imagined it would be played in my mind. When there are always tactics board zones open, if you want to leave until later, if you want your last activation to be an NCU activation, it can be. You you can always play a zone replacement card effect. At the end of the round, if you want to, you don't have to race to the tactics board. It is, in some ways, at its purest, out of out of the faction starters. It's not it's not exceptionally balanced, you know. Like I do think that some of them are better. I think the Baratheons, as good as they are these days, mm-hmm. not based on their starter set particularly. You know, it's a lot lot better than it was. You know, like yeah. wardens with a master warden. Way better than these. Dagnites, way better than these. But, you know, I still think that those commanders 
They're only they they're not really got the units. They they don't play into their full mechanic effectively. They don't play into their loyalty. They they're not the best. Mm -hmm. I'm not amazingly sold on the two new separate starters. I actually preferred the factions as they were in the joint starter box for Lannisters and Starks. I think that Ooh. that was that was a better representation of them. I think that the units that got swapped out are not positives for mm -hmm. people's first. But the but 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 the model quality is way way higher. You know, like yeah. so. I, I would never tell somebody to go and buy the old starter, but if you right. if you were trying to build a competitive list out of the box, I'd mostly say box. But that's that's side. I think that the three that are left, Night's Watch, Targaryens, Greyjoys, are all amazing introductions to the game for their faction, for their theme, for their representation on the table, and for how they play and how they play wildly different to each other. The Targaryens is the most unique box of all. Obviously, you get a full cavalry army in a box. Yeah, that is. I think that was a really bold choice, and I think that it is a very good choice. I still think that it's a very good introduction to the game right now. Um, and yeah, I, th I think the Greyjoys are a great representation of what Greyjoys are in terms of the, the things that you get in there. And Night's Watches with their Watch Captains, with their Swarm Brothers, veterans. It is actually an elite army out the box. Talk about whether or not that's what they are, but it's an argument that people make, which is they're low numbers but very good, um, and 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 I think that's what they are. I I think that the game at thirty points is amazing. I think I'm very I'm really really interested myself in the tournaments that are starting to be run here and there. I've seen them um, in around the UK, which are. It's a starter box only, bring anything that you want. What I find really interesting is that there is loads of discussion and loads of opinions on which is the best box. Almost everybody seems to have an argument for why XYZ box is a really, really powerful box. And I think that's really great. Yeah, I, um, oh man, I had a thought about that and just let my mind. Um, something about, oh, oh yeah, so about demoing the game. Do you think for 30 points, one should play on a 4x4 or a 3x3? I personally think... Maybe a 4x3. I personally think one of the things that should be included in the demo of the game is you should introduce game modes. Absolutely. Because... Yeah. because no, they're, they're so yeah. intrinsic to what this game is that it's not pitch battle. Yes. Yeah. If you just if you just play Fire and Blood without with by basically removing extra scoring and stuff like that, which is just pitch battle for all intents and purposes, or you know here we stand for all in for what it's worth, basically the same thing nowadays. That's terrible because actually like it's not it's not what the game is. I think one of the the big core things that I think people it's a personal bugbear of mine which people say all the time is I want it to be a war game. And this isn't a war game. It's not a war game, right? Yes, battles are involved in it. Yes, there's strategy and things like that. You could argue that there's it's a warfare game. But it's a tactical strategy style, rank and flank style game. It isn't just a line them up, shoot them. Like, what do you think would be the best scenarios to showcase? Because are some too complicated? Like, when's a winter or here we stand? Is it better to stick with Game of Thrones and maybe Clash of Kings, something like that? 
Clash of Kings is great. Three objectives. Your commander gets to do shit. Demo games, people want their commanders and the characters to feel like they're doing shit. So Clash yeah. of Kings is great. Right. And it makes Ace. a move, right? Because Game of yes. Thrones, yeah. you could kind of just sit back and camp, I guess. Yeah, but I think Game of Thrones, uh, personally, you could play, like, uh, uh, probably the only game mode I'd probably modify. You can play Game of Thrones without the objective cards if you really want to limit the mechanics that you're teaching people. So you, they, the objectives don't do anything except score. Um, so a little bit like honed and ready, but without the walls, effectively. Um, and that's just a that purely is to reduce the complicated nature of what like the impact those objectives could have with newer players if they've never played games before. But I mean, if yeah. you're, if you if you're dealing genuinely playing a game with people who've played war games before or other tabletop games, and they have a little bit of an inkling then I would immediately introduce the objective cards back in. Um, because they're not presumably, complicated. Yeah. I'd be there, presumably, like, demoing the game, and I'd be like, oh, don't forget that this objective does this, or if you're playing Clash of Kings, don't forget your commander can activate this card and this yeah. cool mm -hmm. power up. Yeah. Activation. You're there to, like, I personally, help me along the little subtleties. I personally would stick with the 4x4. Four four. I, I, I don't yeah. feel any real benefit to the 4x3. Um, but... Unless, unless you mean four by three, where you start closer together. There, no, I meant, I meant with. Yeah, yeah, I meant with. I guess there's there's always maybe an argument to be said that like getting getting to the fighting part quicker, you know, will mm -hmm. will we'll get them more involved in the game, make them make make you know less time just spent like, hey, I'm going to activate and march, and you're going to march, and you're going to march. You know what I mean, like. Yeah, I guess you... there's concern there'd be too much space if you have less units, like less trays, and it's kind of like. It's too hard to get Maybe. each other. Maybe, but yeah, like possibly. I think that. I, I I don't think the game. I don't personally. I don't think the game represents itself the best when it becomes a front on front mosh pit. Like I think having seeing cavalry be cavalry and like get around the flanks and seeing the units be faster and get to places first is important. So I wouldn't. I wouldn't constrict the size myself. And um, but I would. I, I would avoid myself the um the five objectives. And just I think that the game plays better first times through for any mode which promotes people to move to the center and like move and contest the middle of the board. Um that will that will drive the engagement. That will mean that there's not a, I'm not I'm not saying that, you know, I mean the uh Hopefully the demo is not just going to sit here and play an absolutely optimal strategy and absolutely you know destroy the newer player. But it's not good if the best strategy is to you know sit back in the corner. All uh, they're they're the modes where you which you do want to avoid. You don't you want to show the dynamic nature of the game and how and how people. Yeah, we have uh, one of our local shops is doing a, a game day May seventh, and as much as I want to go down just to play games with the local. Local, local crowd outside of my personal game group, a part of me is thinking to myself, I, I'd like to demo the game, you know, and I'd like to actually showcase the game to players who are walking by and want to try it out. Um, so I'm just, these are all the thoughts going through my head of how would I showcase the game off as best as possible. You should definitely, um, like, depending on what you're trying to showcase the game for, who you're trying to get in, you want to show, as always the case with any demos, right, showing people Stuff that looks fun and interesting to play um you know targaryens running a full cavalry army like the dothraki horde like we were saying before 
is going to be popular because it's a full cavalry army. It's thematic. It has place. Um, the Baratheon-style heavy armor is not an aesthetic I really kind of like buy into massively, but people fucking love it. So, like, you put it on the board and they're like, oh, yeah, that's cool. That's awesome. Like, I love the guys with the ha- antlers on their heads. And you're like, oh, yeah, they're, they're like, they're your best troops kind of thing. Like, there's there's something there that you can, like, push. Uh, people will get into the game, right? Uh, Greyjoy is a similar kind of thing. People, oh, pirate kind of guys. Yeah, 100%. Love that. Um, even Free Folk with the giants. You say, look, you've got some giants and you can run around and smash things. And they'll be like, oh, yeah, I want to go smash things. Um Lannister and Starks, like Carlos was saying, they don't have that identity anymore in the starter box. There is, it doesn't feel there's anything there in the boxes that give you any real sense of what they do. It's just some blokes with some swords and some pikemen. And then this guy's got some guys with swords and shields and some pikemen. Oh, he's got some unit cavalry. Okay, cool. Like, there's nothing there. Um, so I do think those new starter boxes are less visually interesting. Um, and you want the visual you you need the visual side to be there because the visual side outside of the gameplay the visual side is what's going to make people stop um and i know that from you know talk about the other week battle masters when battle masters is around like trays and seeing an ogre and a cannon on the board and i was like oh that looks cool and it was like it was yeah. sold to me as a demo game now okay i was young right i was like eight nine year old at this time i think it was literally sold to me as like do you want the side with the cannon or the side with the ogre and that was enough for a budding war game enthusiast to go, I want that side or the other. And the yeah. rest of the game I then learned from that, right? Um, so I do think the aesthetic, what you actually put on the board, what it looks like, is important when it comes to a demo game. Um, Hope to get it all painted for the summertime. Um, and uh, yeah, all, I think all, after... all seven? All eight. Oh. <laughs> oh. Don't put Lannister. You got, you got, you got two Baratheons, have you? <laughs> no, the... no. Clar- Clarence has got the inside line on some Martells. <laughs> I, I honestly, um... I, I wouldn't. It's weird. I, I don't think I'd suggest uh, neutrals unless, and I did. I wouldn't in a get get bottom bastard girls on the board. Just put fucking dogs on the board. People will love a unit of hunters with dogs. Yeah. True. I, Two cutthroats. Maybe. Black yeah. heart, it's not, it's not about the competitive power level. It's no. not about anything. The, uh, the neutral units, similar to the starter set box, because they all came out at the same time, they look dated. They, they're, they're not the best representation of the game anymore. Cutthroats are not good models. Even Bottom Bastard Girls, probably the best models of the age, of the time period. They look dated. They're not brilliant models now. They're not got great detail. I I would avoid them at all costs. I think that yeah. they aren't a great representation of the game. Oh man! Imagine a, a demo game means like, oh man, these Boltons are cool. I'm going full Bolton. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah. no, no, he's gone. He's that, gone. That, that's the other thing. You would <laughs> you would have to. That's the other thing. You would have to play Boltons, right? Like, yeah. you can't. I, I think even just the concept of neutrals. Do you know what I mean? Like, they don't have. You'd have to play Boltons. Yeah, it's so hard. Like you'd have to play Boltons. You'd have to be like, oh, here, here's your Roost Bolton commander. Here, 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 you can play Ramsey and Bolton Bastard Girls. Great, yeah. Like here's your cutthroats. You can have Flayed Men, right? You're literally like, who's my one NCU? I'm gonna give you one NCU, right? And you're gonna be like, 
I get Tycho the Iron Banker. Why? Or I I have I have Varys or Baelish, and you're like, why? why? These never ever have worked with the Boltons, right? <laughs> and you've broken the most important value and rule and use of the starter boxes is the characters in those boxes represent the house, they represent the faction. But whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And they are what people imagine that faction on the tabletop to be in terms of law and all these kind of things. The 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 best part about Lannisters is that it is Cersei, Tyrion, Jamie, all there on the table together. You even get Gregor, you know, the Starks are, you know, here's Rob. Um, you know, his Caitlin, like mm. they're helping him. Do you know what I mean? Like off the board, they're doing their politics thing. And even have, you know, have Grey Wind. All these things, they represent their faction so well. They are the biggest, most important named characters in all cases. You can't say the same for neutrals. Like they're yeah. just, they're not a house. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The other um, issue for me is, as much as I want to do this May 7th, um, it's the idea of hauling down eight cases of miniatures and all my faction and everything and, like, setting it all out and, like, okay, so what do you want to play? All right, let's, um, you know, build the trays and, like, ten, take 30 minutes to, like, build an army. Yeah. That's... Logistics would be annoying. No, I, I would absolutely just pick a thematic matchup as well. I think, obviously... What, almost all factions have come in pairs, right? We, you've, got, you've got Lannister Starks, You've got Night's Watch, uh, Free Folk. And the infamously famous Targaryen Baratheon. (laughs) Many times they met on the field. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, so you see, your problem there (laughs) is that Targs are Dalthraki. But but historically speaking, Baratheons versus Targaryens is... Yeah. a huge historical matchup, right? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. just not the faction that you get. <laughs> it's not current Targaryens. There's your problem. Greyjoys are, you know, starts to break down, which is why I would say, like, the best thing you can do is put Lannisters versus Starks on the table, or put Free Folk versus Night's Watch on the table, right? These will double down on that theme aspect of the game. You could um, have you could have Greyjoys against like. Like probably Lannister Starks, even if you really want to, if people want to play Greyjoys, because you can, you know, set yeah. up a thematic moment of raiding the Stony Shore or whatever. You know, um, uh, I. The thing is, like Targaryens is like, as much as I think it's one of the greatest boxes to do a show with, it's very difficult to set up a moment where you're like, ah, this is the Targaryens with their Dothraki fighting, a bunch of Ironborn raiders. Where the fuck did these guys come from? <laughs> um, yeah, it's a lot harder to kind of imagine. Um, yeah, that might be more practical. Just bring two sets, and um, man, I wish I got my Lancers painted. I got the new starter set, I'm touching them at all. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe one day my local shop, which is five minutes down the road, I can do the whole extravaganza and have like everything ready to rock and roll. But this this other shop, which is now away, Black Knight Games, um, I may just bring two and my own faction to play with. Should no one show up, which yeah. starts anyway. Actually, I'm playing starts nowadays anyhow. So I'll just bring the start game. There's a, there's a lot to be said. I mean, um, the only other the only other piece of advice for me, uh, not like I've played a huge amount of demo games, um, not certainly not of late. Uh, the only other thing I would say maybe for a demo game is obviously make it fun, make it interesting for people. 
um, teach them what the game really is, which is, you know, the thematic side, and push that and tell people, you know, that it's about the characters, the commander choices, you know, those kinds of things when it gets into the game. Choosing the right commander that you want to field on the board is heavily impactful into how they will then play their faction, how their their list will play. Um, because actually that's that's something that um, is borderline not really true for stuff outside of CCGs, right? Um, uh, I've played plenty of war games where you, you, you pick your faction commander and go like, I don't know, Warhammer Fantasy Battle. I've got like Azag or something like that. And you're like, oh yeah, that's really changed the core concept of how my list works. No, it doesn't. It doesn't change a fucking thing. It's just that character's different. And the list doesn't function differently. I don't do different things. Whereas you can, you know, really sell someone on the idea. Well, not only did you pick Stannis, but you get these cool cards that get added to the deck that change the deck in a different way. Whereas if you pick Renly, he gets different cards and does different things. Because um, that is, I mean, that's, a, that's one of the, like, the deck building appeals is massive for non-traditional historical war game type players but more your ccg style mtg mtg players yeah your flesh and blood you know um you capture a wider audience yeah that's mm. what i would go for yeah a little bit of agency into the demo game is, is always going to make it more fun yeah definitely um is that kind of answered that question for you, Ariakas? Is there anything else you yeah, want to discuss? I got that? some good ideas. I think having talked it talked it out, I don't want to bring everything. I'll I'll probably just bring two. But I like the idea of bringing everything into an extravaganza one day at my local shop. Once uh, they're doing a, a 40k campaign, I'm actually part of it. Um, and I think once that wraps up or closes, we can you know move on to something that might be gamed out for that game. I think the other thing as well, and it sounds really obvious, and you kind of mentioned it earlier. We didn't talk about it too much. Painting the units is a weird thing because I don't think you need to paint them for the demo game to be good. But oh, the visual spectacle is going to be yes, there. Exactly. If you choose to paint them, the paint job needs to be decent. Now, I'm not saying you can't mm. paint anything. That's obviously not what I mean. But rushing Incomplete a paint job through. Miniatures. Incomplete miniatures are worse than unpainted miniatures. Yeah. And that's mm. purely from a simple fact of. The one thing that I think is great about this game is that my color troops are different to your color troops, and I know that just by looking at the board. I don't have to think what's my unit when I'm introduced to the new game. It's I'm green, you're red. <laughs> Simple. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think I, I would have a box on hand as well and show them, hey, you literally open the box up and your guys are done. You get some playing right away. Like, that is yeah. a big control. No assembly required. Mm -hmm. um, cool. Shall we move on to, uh, believe it or not, the last topic of today, um, which uh, is a very interesting one, Arrakis. This is not something I thought you'd bring up. I swear we've kind of beat around the bush with this a lot and never actually talked about for a long time, which is uh, the limited units really need to be limited. Um, uh, obviously, images of mammoths and harakars there. There are... A, other ones up there as well um off the top of my head uh, what else is one other oh dragons are nobles there we go i think 
they're the only three units in the game that have the limited keyword, I think. I think the raid leader for Greyjoys is limited. Oh, I think, as well. yeah. Jesus. Reaver captains, yeah. Watch captains. Watch captains aren't limited. Uh, not, um, uh, watch marshal. Watch marshals. They're limited to two oh, as wow. well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There we go. Hmm. In your build, they should be limited. To a minimum of Maybe. one in every list. Legit. Legit. <laughs> yes, minimum one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I was thinking about this the other day. I think a friend of mine said, I know, I think I'll take like six rat cards. He said, oh, you, you can't, you can only take two. I'm pretty sure the card says you can only take two of them. And then I thought to myself, why do some units, say, only take two, for example? I think it's the most common. And um, I, I really couldn't come up with a, a great reason why, because it implies that they're undercosted, right? That if I took, you know, Frakkar spam, it'd be too powerful. Well, then Frakkar is too good at five points. Should they be six points? Like, why not just make them the appropriate cost? Because I find with most units in the game, I don't want to spam them. It, it occurs once in a while, but like, generally speaking, I actually want a combined arms. I want some cav, I want uh, some infantry, I gotta take some NCUs, and... I'm like, would people abuse it if I could take multiple scorpions? Would people abuse it if I could take multiple dragonstone nobles? And the answer is maybe here. And um, I thought, well, then maybe that unit is under cost to them, and they should be uh, pointed out. And I wanted to hear something. First of all, I'd, I'd just like to <laughs> have to laugh when you made the really, the, what, what seemed like a really underhanded, simple statement of... <laughs> Why don't they just appropriately cost it then? <laughs> it was that easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, why don't they just appropriately cost everything? <laughs> oh my god! How have we not seen this solution appropriately before? <laughs> oh god. Um, I think yeah, it's a very interesting question. Um, I feel like the things that we find limited. Generally speaking, um, like there, don't forget that there is effectively another thing called limited, which is significantly more limited, which is everything unique, right? Yeah. Like everything unique character-wise. There is, you know, there is uh, there's only one Bone Lord's Chosen. There is only one Eddard's Honor Guard. There is only one um, King's Guard. There is one of every single attachment that has a name and is a character. Only one of every single NCU. Um, and so the existence of limited does seem odd because basically it's like you're not a named thing, you're not unique, you're not a one off, but you're also not allowed to be, you know, beyond your limit, which is off the top of my head, is the limit always two? Yes. There, there's nothing, yeah, there's, there's nothing with a limit that's not two. I think it's two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so it's a very interesting limitation that it's like you're off a character <laughs> between between you and you and one other. You represent something unique. Um, I would say personally, I don't think that there's any need for the limited keyword. I don't think that it adds anything much. Um, why why you're not allowed three dragonstone nobles, for example, is like well. Are they too cheap? Are they? Do you think that if I spammed four or five of them, then they're going to be what, like, too powerful? But I mean, 
they're they're just a four point unit, the same as loads of other four point units exist. I can I can put four I can put five four point units in elsewhere. I could run five poor fellows, for example. I can run whatever. Um, ten, so, you know what? I'm just gonna throw it out there though. Ten dragonstone. Well, it couldn't be ten dragonstone nobles. It would have to be like eight and then something else because of commanders. I actually don't think that list is any good. <laughs> like I think no, it's like, garbage. This is, the thing. this is the thing. Anything, almost anything, spammed to its actual full extreme is garbage. Right? Like I would say the only the closest thing that ever came, and actually I do think that it was powerful. The two things there are two actually, now that I think about it. The two things that have ever been close to being the single thing which can be spammed are old poor fellows at five points. They could fight everything and anything. They had amazing morale, and they did D3 plus one auto wounds on their attack. So there was nothing that they couldn't fight, right? That was a very spammable army back in the day. And these days, tournaments have shown that Prefolk Raiders are entirely spammable. They are, you know, they, they, they can be 100% of what your army is. Outside of those two things, I've never seen an army that wasn't made better by having some variety, some, yeah. you know, and that's not, oh, I don't own the models or, you know, like, oh, why would you be so cheesy? Why would you, you know, why would you spam? That's so boring. No, the army is made better by having the multiple options, the, the aggressive units, the defensive units or the ranged units and the melee units, all those kind of things. Like the game does work well in that mentality, in that way. Even when you talk about 100% cavalry armies, it's never it, it, it's never gonna be. Oh well, I'll take six, five or six units of screamers and nothing else because you're always better putting in that unit of veterans, that unit of this, that unit of whatever. I don't think that limit has any value. Um, I just think maybe they fear these units and what their extreme could be without ever actually finding out what that is. They never want to have to push the limit and say, okay, what does actually happen if I put six mammoths on the board? Because it uh, almost feels like a waste of time. I mean, I can I was tell you... Say too, oh, sorry, uh, I was going to say that uh, yeah. I think that's one of the beauties of the game as well is that you're not like encouraged. I, I don't know how they've done it. I, I, I would spam. Mm -hmm. If something was was good spammed, I would 100% spam and not feel bad about it. But yeah. the inherent mechanics of the game and scenario make you not want to. You want to take range, as you said. You want to take a combined range, generally speaking. And I think that's one of the beautiful parts of the game. And yeah, it's, I can be thinking about It's because, I think, it's because of the way the tactics board works and the way the tactics cards work that effectively there are always going to be you want a unit which can get the best outlet for a for a certain position on the board you want a unit which has the best outlet for one of your cards and almost exclusively no one unit fills that role across the whole board right like having a ranged unit so that you can take swords early in the round when you're not in melee so important so useful Having a unit that really takes these keywords on one of your tactics cards well, but doesn't take these other ones, so I want a different unit. If this card comes up, I'll, I'll utilize that one. I think is what means that 
the the army needs to be more than just like a stat line used as much as possible. I think that, like you said, they have done that part really, really well. I did see actually on Facebook the other day. I had, I honestly could not remember what unit they were talking about, but somebody who was new to the group and I'd never seen posts before or something like that said, "Oh, am I allowed to like field eight of this unit?" Wardens. It was wardens. He said, wardens. All yeah. wardens. I thought it was wardens. Yeah, they were like, "Oh, can I just field like eight of this unit?" And everybody was just a bit like, "Yeah," but. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you're not gonna you know, want it. I know, bro. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're not gonna want to. You know, like, and 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 if you have success, then you know, like, uh, something's gone wrong because that's not good. Like, we're in a really fortunate fortunate situation that that isn't what's best. That isn't the best thing you can produce. And I can't think of a single limited unit. That would wildly change the game if it wasn't limited. I would say the closest that comes is the Dragonstone Noble, which is I might field three of it if I was allowed. Yes. I also that that is also of course across. Um, there is also the thing that it has its um, its solo and its attachment, which share its limited keyword. There have definitely been times where I wanted to include two solo Dragonstone Nobles and also pick up Sentinel for one point. Yeah, you know, like, uh, but but like, it just it just turns out to be like a really niche, weird list building mechanic, which is like, you know, similar to like, hey, Starks can't take Jacken until they have Arya. You know, it's like honestly, you almost don't notice it's there until you try and do it, and you're like, ah, oh, wait, yeah, there's that thing that I forgot about. I, I think I think I think it's worthless. I had yeah. I have to say for for mammoths, I understood it maybe on an initial release. You know, um, you didn't just want an arm like one unit and however many mammoths on the board. It doesn't really thematically make much sense um, in in that sense. Um, uh, they were obviously broken as fuck when they got released, so it would have been unpleasant as well. Um, but actually, like we saw before, the actual best lists were with one mammoth anyway, and you just made one do everything for you. Um, yeah, nowadays the the keyword on like the limited keyword on mammoths, you, you don't see people take two outside of mag lists, maybe, and you aren't taking three in a mag list, even though you can't. You don't even look to take three in a mag list because it's probably just not what you want so yeah. i don't see the point anymore um yeah. maybe i don't know like for them to be limited at their points value i feel that the only ones that have any argument are either like you've said before they're either over valuable within their points bracket or it is a deliberate design choice, such as Dragonstone Nobles at four points. Being limited to two is a deliberate design choice to kind of lock them out of the higher activation list. I actually I actually do believe that it was a method of doing that. I don't believe that that's a good thing. I don't know why you would lock people out of a nine activation list in Baratheon, just because you can. Um... Actually, you don't even lock them out of a nine. They can still play a nine. 
but they can't play a ten. Uh, a lot, a lot of, a lot of the things that are limited. You could, you could say that if you spam this unit, what's left doesn't really look like an army anymore. It doesn't yeah. really represent the faction, and it's not, it's not what we want to represent the faction. But the problem with that is, is that there are plenty, and I mean plenty of other things that aren't limited, which also cause the same issue. Like. They, they 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 also lead to the same thing, which is like this just doesn't look like an army anymore. Um, it doesn't represent the faction properly anymore, and yet this is mediumly competitively viable. You know, like it doesn't have to be taken to the most extreme spam. Just be like, hey, look, I bought like four units of freedmen, and you know, what I mean, like, and suddenly now my army's just a load of like roadblock spam, and and, and isn't really an army, or all sorts of stuff. You know, like, and so. I, yeah, I, I, I have to say, like, Limited exists. I just get on with it because I've almost never cared that it was there. I've never won. Like, not one of these units has ever been appealing to me enough that I've been like, man, if only that wasn't Limited, I would put as many of that on the board as I possibly could. But yeah. I think it adds nothing, generally speaking. Right. Yeah, and, and I was like, you know, even if a unit was too good to have many of, then maybe it's understood that you should just change the points. But we can say that about the whole game. Like, right, things need to be balanced anyhow. Gen genuine question on that, actually. Has anyone seen... Uh, Dragonstone Nobles are a little bit different because of the four-point cost, because Baratheons are limited by their options completely when it comes to list building, up until 2021, right? Um, or the new update. Um, has anyone ever seen double Harakar, where a third Harakar would make it any difference? A double mammoth list where a third mammoth would make any difference or even wanted to be included in the list. A double watch captain, a uh, watch marshal list, sorry, where a third one would make a significant difference. Uh, watch, watch marshals were pretty good on initial release. Yeah, they were. Um, they're, they're not as good now. No. Even then, like, it was like two was still a large amount. Like, two, two was a lot. Like, you just don't have any front line left. You make you make these units self-limiting by giving them support-based roles, like mm -hmm. meaning that what they do is they add to other units. They aren't they aren't frontlining themselves. They don't bring enough, but they're empowerment pieces. You could argue let, let let's say hypothetically speaking, Jora as his solo now is just like a non-named character solo, right? Like, how many of him would you bring? Like, yes, I'd probably bring two. Yeah. But but would I bring a third? Like, you know, like, it, what, what, what's, what's his order helping then? Like, who's he, he, who's he empowering with his ability? Maybe, and he is genuinely, I think, like, Point for point, one of the best possible things that in the game. Like I really do rate Jorah. Having played Targaryens, I don't leave home without him. Even though I know that one of the main things that I play into is Mance, who just auto-kills Jorah. I still think that is amazing, right? Maybe I'd take a third. He is way better than a Dragonstone Noble. He is way better than a Watch Marshal. He is way, way, way better than Harakars. Those things don't need to be limited to two because I would never, ever, ever consider taking three. Um, yeah, go on. I was going to ask, on that note, 
Do you think then that the things that are unique, name characters and so on, are they allowed to be better than their points cost? Are they allowed to be more efficient because they're unique and they're supposed to be cool? So it's okay if, if Jorah is better value for three points than other things. If they've taken the black, then yes. <laughs> um, I do, I do genuinely think, I and mean, we talk about this for a long time. Uh, two point attachments are still. Uh, some are seeing play a little bit with like the lower activation lists and stuff. Like the point is though, is that named. We talked about this not too long ago. One of the brilliant things, a little bit in Free Folk, at the moment, is I'm playing Mance and I'm also playing Tormund a lot of the time. And I'm like, I'm playing the characters that personify what the Free Folk should be. Um, I play a lot of Harmer in my list as well. You know, I'm playing basically three of the biggest names in the faction outside of Rattleshirt. Um, and I feel that I am representing the faction with my, my army. It feels good to play and it also thematically fills the bill. Um, other factions don't do that. Like you have NCUs, sure. They're, they're always going to be characters. Like, yeah, you one can't of the, one that. of the best selling points of NCUs is that generics don't exist. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, yeah, it, I, I'm glad that there isn't a generic, yeah. and you're not like, hey, should I take these three generic four pointers or should I pay a point and buy this named character for five? I'm glad Randall. that we're bringing that yeah. we're bringing, you know. At least three named people if you bring three NCUs or two named people. You bring two people of value that people have heard of. Push your commander. Always bring in three people that, that people have heard of. The thing is, is that for a whole swathe of factions... That's it. That, that's it. Their, their characters don't... Their characters are, are, are supposed to be powerful and they end up sitting in the two-point slot and, nobody, and, and that just is not competitive viable two points too much they do not bring anything for what they're worth there are a few exceptions which get seen here and there um Greyjoys, generally speaking you know like they bring characters night's watch brings some characters but the thing is is that their generic actually outweighs them all because of the fact that it has relentless on it i do think that overall a named character often in their mind, in Simon's mind, is given a better allowance than a non-named version. Problem is, is that they also want them to be really powerful and therefore they end up expensive. And in the process of that, they end up unplayed. Yeah. Technically speaking, if Simon released a two-point generic attachment, it would probably be worse than most two-point named characters, but unfortunately two-point named characters still don't see play. I would be way, way into the camp that they should be making loads of named characters way, way more efficient. You should want to bring every character that you've heard of in your army. You should start with that guy's amazing. What unit will make him good rather than what currently exists, which is I'm going to field this unit. Is that attachment going to bring me anything? If not, nah, then it's, then, then it's fine, right? Like we begin with I'm going to play, I'm going to play 
an eight activation faction. I'm going to include a, a ranged unit. I'm going to include a you know I'm going to include a cavalry unit, and you know I've got I've got I've got my commander. Which which unit will my commander go in? Because I think that that's the way a lot of a lot of the way I work and a lot of the way people work is they have this one character that they begin with and they find a good unit for them and they start to build the army around that. But I would like every unit practically to begin with. Okay, here's a character. What unit can I find for them to bring their most potential in? Um, but instead, it's I'm going to add a unit. Do I bring a character? Nah, not worth it. I haven't got any spare points. I'll bring another unit. I worry if that with that prospect, though, would armies look the same? It's like, well, I'm always going to take Yorin in conscripts. I'm always going to take, you know, uh, Donald Noy in. I mean, you can't even think of a good option. He's a blacksmith. Where would he go in? You know, would it, would it be then everyone's army looks the same if it's too obvious what attachment goes in what unit then? You could you could say that you know like you could say that about Asher Trappers for example you know like Asher Greyjoy Trappers is one of the most it is one of the key components right now in the game where people are like I'm going to take Asher what unit will I put her in right mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the answer is nearly always Trappers though Asher Bowman also gets fielded. Asher Ironmakers get fielded. You know, there are there are other choices out there. The trappers probably make like the most key use of what her abilities are. They have terrible morale. She brings it back down to a five. They give her some, you know, their disrupt doubles down on like her support role. This becomes an amazing support unit. Right. It is true that you could say that what the meta would evolve into is, is like these are the four five best characters for this for this army and for this faction and like everybody knows what unit they pair best with and therefore it's just that character plus the unit um but like there are i don't find there isn't that much variability like people I think people think that like list building is like way more creative than it is. Like there isn't that much variation in what people play, right? And just because a character gets used or doesn't get used, the core identity to what so many lists that people put on the table are so similar. They're they're, they're so the same thing. You're talking about like really small, like is it Knights of Castle Rock or is it Flayed Man or do you know what I mean? Like. They're the kind of variances that we see a lot. And yes, people can deviate wildly, but that is like deviation from the norm. Right. Does John go in anything but hunters? You know? Yeah, very, very <laughs> exactly. rarely. Very rarely. Yeah. To... There, there are some archetypes for sure, yeah. Yeah. And that's but that's because, you know, there are I do think there are there there are things there that I'm not going to say they're hidden, but there's synergies that you don't necessarily fully appreciate until you see it on the board. Carlo mentioned before about like Iron Resolve. Uh, I know that one of the things that he came across like I played a six point unit of trappers the other day in my in my free folk in um, the Walrus Clan Chieftain in trappers and. You know, just off the back of what Carlos said before, I'm pretty sure that unit alone just made him go, 
that's not trash. It's not good, but it's not complete and utter trash, which it should feel like it is for six points uh, compared to its normal four-point cost. Um, but that being said, like, that's not... I'm not going to say it's common, it's not rare. It's It's just kind of like, it just works bizarrely okay and it might not be that okay against other stuff um but then it, the flip side of it it's really easy to spot a lot of the synergies there are some that you only discover through play which is the learning aspect that you go actually that and that just makes a unit that's good hence the reason that me and carlo often talk about like why aggressive commanders are not as good as they appear to be it's because actually you don't want aggressive commanders most of the time in aggressive units because you just double down. So it's actually aggressive units want defensive commanders and defensive units want aggressive commanders, but aggressive commanders don't help the defense of a unit that much. So you might, might as well just play a defensive commander anyway. So it's like, it's the, the whole discussion there about commanders, right? And everyone goes, ah, oh, but aggressive commanders that do a lot of damage are going to be really good in the new game. And they aren't. Um, not compared to what people thought they were going to be. Um, and it's the same argument, because I think people believe that the synergies are kind of like this big thing that it does and this flashy thing can go anywhere and just be good, and it's like not really um, until you've got the right unit. The synergy's not very good, so you always default back to the same things, the ashes of the world, the, you know, the war cry of the world, um, the yeah, I, 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 you know, I agree with um, with some of the chat. They were like, let's say, take it to its extreme, where characters are wildly undercosted. Yep. Yeah, maybe you're right that maybe lists become quite generic. But is that so bad if what we're no. doing is we're fielding no. all big important characters? No. So, you know, I think that, like I say, one of the best things about the starter box is that it has all the characters that people think could represent that faction, and they go on the table, and they are right, because your box comes with four characters. One of them is your commander, two of them your NCUs, and if you're not filled into NCU at 30 points, then you've got points to put, like, the other attachment in there, and so you will be fielding at least three, if not all four, of those characters that come in that box. And, and and they are the most representative of the house. They are they are the faction, and that's what gives a great introduction to the game. Once you start talking about the competitive side, which obviously is what we mostly focus on. Once you start watering that down with all the neutral options, you start watering it down with characters that people have never really heard about or cared about, except for the fact that their ability is good. And you start to look at the pure fact that people should just buy more units rather than buy characters. That three characters that come in the starter box, what you effectively end up doing is you just end up swapping those characters for other characters and adding more generic stuff. There's more generic things added, more non-interesting things. Maybe a slightly special unit here represents a different house. It represents a thing. No, it's it's more mon or it's or it's whatever you know but that's that's as specific as it gets that's as thematic as it gets and uh they could do so much more with the characters if they were willing to take a risk on vastly costing them but it has to happen right across the game all at the exact same time 
means right. you're talking about a whole faction, you're talking about a whole rewrite to the game. Talking a long, long what time. if? What if? I don't know if we've talked about this before. You guys talked about this before. What if every attachment went down a point to zero potentially? So I I actually had an exact thought about this. I personally believe that what you should do, because I do think attachments in general are they're, they're certainly more played than they were, hundred percent. I believe is not a nice thing for list building, by the way, and Carlo would hate me for this. Um. Units should come with an attachment. They already do. Yeah. And their attachment that they come with should be free for the unit. So if you're running a unit of wardens, you get a master warden for free. You just get it. Be cool. Because every unit of blokes in formed mm. rank and file style, co like old fantasy battles, every unit had a captain. Right. That's just how units function on the on the board. Right. That's just literally how they function. Um, yeah, and so you would get the you know the the you know faithful. You'd be like, I've got a red priestess. That makes sense, you know. Um, and then units that don't come with those attachments, it's like, well, they're already decent at their points cost. They don't need an attachment to make them good. But then what you do is you say, right, well, that attachment is like a one point attachment, two point, whatever. You can make the attachment whatever its cost. Make them one for the argument argument's sake. And then the moment you move them outside of that unit to put them in another unit where there might be a cool synergy, then they can cost. But then also, you can just immediately go, well, every unit can have an attachment and it can also have uh, named characters if it wants. So you can say, actually, right. I'm going to have a Master Warden in my Wardens with Stannis. Because like, Ooh. why should I not have a Master Warden with his unit because Stannis is there. It's like the Master Warden's just gone, oh, I'm just going to fuck off home then, right? You don't need me for the fight? Don't need me in the battle? I'll, you know my men? Yeah, I'll just, I'll just fuck off. <laughs> yeah, just my like... brain exploded with the idea of double, deta double attachments in a single unit. That uh, that would create a whole lot of balances. But, but, but why think. not? Because if, if, if Death Star units are that good, then... Where, why aren't we seeing them constantly? Now, arguably, the Baratheon six activation style stuff is the closest <laughs> we're seeing. But they're not like, like, no one's lighting the, the world on fire. Given that Free Folk can do it with Harmon's Bannerman and things, uh, you can make these Death Star units that are like nearly 12, 13 points of value. And it's like, but it's not good. <laughs> it's not winning games. Um, I don't know. To answer your initial question. Yeah. Of just reduce every attachment by one, one point. point. One point off everything, make some things free. Every unit gets right. a point. You're going to see pretty much the same attachments you see right now, which is you're going to see the generics currently cost one point mm -hmm. or be used for free. Ooh. And ah. Yes, people will find, will we'll then put more use in. But what you're going to see is you're going to see Champion of Faith, Get used right across Lannisters. You're going to see Mormont Veteran get used yeah, right across the entirety. That, that one. You're going to see Mormont Veteran used across the entirety of Stark for free. Mm -hmm. You're going to see Watch Captains for two. That doesn't create characters being used more because the problem is is that they're not worth more than the, the generics, or they're definitely not worth one point more than the, than the generics. 
Um, so it's it doesn't kind of nice work. Mickey's it's one really kind of nice things. sort of does work in 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 the concept that generics generics being free but costing if you want to swap them out for like a different generic. I do think that is interesting, except that they've kind of they fucked that one in that not every unit has a generic attachment. Yes, right. Not one hundred percent of units come with one, and therefore it's almost impossible to retcon that backwards because you know people people will be absolutely you know there'll be riots in the street if you've sold a unit and then you start telling people oh by the way you get this attachment for free but didn't come in that box sorry uh you know like yeah what 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 generic attachment does does do my Lannister crossbowmen get for free because I can buy a box of Lannister crossbowmen, but it only comes with twelve models and none of them are attached. So, like, how are you going to give me a free attachment for that unit? There aren't, there just aren't as many attachments as there are units. The and only, the honestly, the only way to do that would be to say they just don't. That is one of the units that doesn't get one, and that has its own problems in balancing and other things. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, like, it, it can go into like what what is the cost of the unit and stuff like that. Um, I do think it's a good idea. Like, it effectively allows you to. It, it it means that people will use attachments, right? But again, like, why do we want people to use generic attachments? Like, what we want is we want people to use characters and feel good about it. Uh, I think has to be the ultimate goal. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I don't I don't think that what we see there is we see that every every unit effectively now comes with some other rules which are provided for. Provided by its attachment, but you could have just given them then rules anyway. Those rules anyway, yeah. unless you've wildly, wildly undercosted one of the attachments. People are now never ever going to swap them. They're never going to pay for a different generic attachment and they get one for free, yeah. unless the other generic so amazingly undercosted. In which chance, there's a very high probability that people are just spamming whichever unit. It for free in anyway because you think, you've added yeah. way too much value to that unit yeah the alternative yeah, you, you... that i might have is um you know if we were looking at characters specifically characters should just be um a zero point character there are some that exist um zero point characters can't be amazing they shouldn't Maybe one basic ability, maybe like an order, something that you use once per round. Uh, Reek is a very good example of something that at one point was basically never played, and at zero points it was like, actually this is good for zero points. I, I'd pay, I'd pick that up. Like Ramsey and Reek together for zero, for two is fine. Um, whereas, uh, yeah, so you need to give them like zero. If you're gonna have zero point characters, you give them something like that. But then I think you can look towards making two-point characters, or sorry, one-point characters, being something that's like, I'm a generic attachment, but I'm like a two-point generic attachment. You know, I, I have intrinsic value because I'm named, you can only have one of me. I am more valuable than a one-point attachment is, so I'm more like a two-point. And then a two-point could become a three-point, whatever. Um you know, I'm not suggesting here that you make Victorian two points and give him Relentless. Right? You can't do that for other balancing reasons, I personally believe. Um, but then I think Relentless is a stupid ability. You know, why Why is Relentless on generic attachments in one place? And... Uh, Anders, Anders says that you give every two-point attachment Relentless. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that would 
that would make them <laughs> viable overnight. Um, the other, the other one there as well is I don't, I don't think you should stray with the characters into completely different realms of the faction identity, but you know they should have elements of different faction identities being introduced with the characters. I do think that, you know, with the commanders saying you had this commander and it's like a spice of this faction and your faction or this, that's good in some ways, but the characters should be doing that a little bit as well, but not extremely. Um, the best example there, I mean, for me, of an attachment that's just straight up awful is Gren with Taunt, right? Um, for two points. Because it's like, that isn't what Night's Watch were about. It's got nothing to do with Night's Watch. It's just a really average ability. You're not paying two points for it. And why is a Sentinel Enforcer in Ransom got over one? Like, why is a non-named character in another faction just as powerful as your named character in a faction? Like, that shouldn't, that definitely shouldn't be a thing. Um, don't tell me they're exactly the same. But one, one point more. Gren I, I is much as something else. That sounds no, way out. No, 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 no. no. Gren, Gren literally has taunt. Sentinel enforcers. Uh, not for two points. Yeah, for two points. Oh no, he's one point. They reduced him. He used to be two points. Jesus, he's now a one point attachment. It's God, because I have never seen him play. You take type R in the same unit. Yeah, you can. For that extra value. The swift retreat. Nope. I've never seen Gren played, by the way, on the table. Like, I've actually uh, never seen Gren played. No, I never. played him once. He did nothing. He was awesome. <laughs> Would buy again. Yarl, <laughs> <laughs> uh. there you go. Yarl is a named attachment in Free Folk. He, uh, he has outflank, which is what a raider captain is. Oh, although. I did want to bring this up about the conversation about limited. Can can anyone genuinely explain to me why Reaver captains and Greyjoys are limited when their one point ability is to bring um, outflank? Outflank, yeah. I, I, I don't know so that somebody <laughs> doesn't outflank their whole army and then lose. But you can do that with Night's Watch. That, that's actually a thing you can do with like Vanguard spam. So like. I don't know. Yeah, that just seems dumb. You'd, you'd only you'd only take one. You would you might take one if you took one. You would never take two. It's way too long to get that to, second unit on the board. Again, the only the only thing I think of you take these things is again for list building. Like ah right, in deployment phase, I can say I'm deploying this off board and it's in outflank, and then I can say this one and say it's deployed in off board and outflank, and I'm like, right. So you're just losing the game slowly in the deployment phase. <laughs> Thank you for the activations. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Mads... What if they're playing a no NCU list against you? Now you're going to get to deploy behind them and there's nothing they can do to stop you. I did think, I, 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 as much as it might be a meme, I did think that eight wardens just walking across in a big impenetrable steel wall might actually be quite unpleasant to try and beat. I don't think it would win games. But it'd be fucking unpleasant to play against because <laughs> you're just kind of like shit. Uh, I can't flank this this literal wall of steel. Um, 
but then you get your battering ram unit and go, well, I'll just go through it then. There. You go through it. You win the game. Game over. Um, yeah. No. Uh, yeah. Characters need to be more valuable. They, they, it's the one thing that they still just can't get right. Yeah. Except yeah, I guess. You know, nice watch. Yeah, I was gonna say like, I was, it, thinking about the one point discount. You're right. As a Stark player, I would not take anything but Mumon vets. So then it becomes a case of well, then they need to make the other attachments better or make them more met first, worse. But if they can do that, then they can also price her appropriately for one point. So it's like <laughs> we're back to that little thing where all we have to do is price them appropriately. Exactly. So yeah. Maybe I'm I mean, looking at the wrong problem. And and also this whole conversation forgets the fact that guys, they almost literally, almost literally across the entire game, reduce the cost of nearly every attachment by one point. There used to be a ton of three-point attachments, a ton of two-point attachments, and not very many one-point attachments. They reduced practically every single three-pointer into two-pointers. They turned every two-pointer into one-pointers, and people still don't use them, yeah. right? Yeah. It's nice to know, though, that there are still three-point attachments out there that are com like completely unheard of in... Uh, in competitive play and uh, as far as i'm aware only one three-point attachment now exists just doesn't see play at all the mountain that rides uh, cavalry ooh. version the the, the 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 uncontrollable rage three-point cavalry attachment who is utter garbage <laughs> um he's two now though right? no no, no the, the mounted version is three now I'm still three, dang. The mounted version of the attachment is three. Crazy. And he doesn't even bring relentless. <laughs> maybe maybe that's why uh Lannisters suck ass. They have a three point attachment that doesn't have relentless. We fixed it. <laughs> give mounted mounted Gregor relentless some cavalry. That sounds unpleasant actually. Don't give don't give flayed men relentless. <laughs> um yeah. Anywho. Um, hmm. Well, I think that pretty much sums up everything we're going to talk about this week, right? That's pretty good. Yeah, I'd say it's pretty good. Um, it's, it's hodgepodge of conversation, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't wait to see all these two-point attachments to make it into our games. Um, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Do you want to know what the highest rated Lannister attachment in the entire game is? Is it? The one and only. It's three-point mounted Gregor. <laughs> he has an 80% win rate. <laughs> He's only been well, used 21 times this edition, but he has 80% win rate, and he is a plus nine, effectively, and that makes him the highest-rated Lannister attachment. Someone up there's got some secret tech. I I think some I think somebody I I I one hundred percent believe that somebody's using his rules incorrectly. 
thing. <laughs> but there you fucking go. <laughs> That's not lie. That's what? what? The, the stats don't lie. They don't always tell 100% of the truth, but they don't lie. They never lie. Unless, you know. Yeah, 3% pick rate, 21 uses since season one, 80.95% win rate. Wow. Crazy. I'm gobsmacked. I'm gobsmacked. I, I, I was trying to, I was expecting, you know, I was expecting him to hardly be used so he wouldn't be that negative, but I was I was looking for him for a long time until I found him at the top. You know, this is the, the, the thing that I wish we could do, right, is like, look at those games. Like, ask that person, how'd you play it? Like, what, what was the thought <laughs> process? The fuck? It's, just, it's just like, um... So what does he do? He uh, does two auto-wounds, and, and when you... On activation charge thing, you have to declare charge. Is he overrun? Built it? No. No. No overrun. It, it's just we like. Believe, um, we believe that this is a simultaneous trigger with cavalry and that he can trigger them in either order that he chooses. Oh, I have to check. I already know. Cavalry says at the start of this unit. This, is, this was what my thought was when I said somebody's playing it wrong because. It's each time this unit activates, and cavalry, cavalry says... At the start of this unit's activation. The problem being is that those are not the same wording. different. But they could... But we... there isn't necessarily any different steps between them. Correct. They could easily be taken as the same step, therefore simul. Therefore, you can move five, get nice and close to a thing you want to target anyway, and then charge it regardless, or go for a long bomb charge. I mean, I did also see somebody questioning on Facebook the other day, like whether or not if you fail the test and you make the auto charge, I say the other day, it was quite a while ago, whether or not you can still activate an attack afterwards. So I'm really nervous that somebody like believes that this is what's happening and he is like just dominant <laughs> when played in that way. Like he gets, he makes an auto charge and that's not his activation. Um, that would be nice. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I think. I think depending on the way that you look at him, it could be considered a powerful ability, but I think it's... Um... I've made a 7 activation ah. Lannister list with uh, Joffrey to really push down on the, the Knights of Cassie Rock Gregor combo, and you just go... And you've got Tywin in the list as well. And you just go, uh, you will obey me to give you the plus 2 dice on the charging Knights of Cassie Rock. Well, uh, you, sh you should take Flayed Men because... because okay, we'll you, yeah, because because you get sun because because you're wasting the native sundering on the yeah, card at that point. Sure, sure, sure. Um, we'll get uh, we've got traitors will have their heads so we can gain vicious on. No, we don't care. Uh, and we just go right. My house bottom flame men are now going to roll like nine dice with crit blow with vicious intimidating presence and plus two wounds. And you've got Tywin bombs to nuke any de defensive abilities if they've got them. You've got Tycho because the only thing you care about is your flayed men going around and fucking banging people out. So you just need to keep them alive. <laughs> you have Pycelle because you weaken anything that might kill Gregor. And then you have two poor fellows because you really don't give a shit about the rest of your list. <laughs> and a unit of Kingsguard <laughs> because they're, they're okay. Um, <laughs> you could even drop the Kingsguard. Like legit. You could drop them, down top to, tier again. drop them down to poor fellows and take two fucking, um, where are they? Champions of the Faith, because we're going to pick the non-named characters over the named ones. 
Um, uh, and there you go. No, you, no, can, no, no, you can no, walk no. or anything you charge now as well. It needs to, it needs to be it needs to be Joffrey crossbows. Jo oh, Joff Joffrey. Joff Joffos for life. For, uh, for life. For Elite Teddy. For all the Elite Teddies in the chat. There we go. Wow. I I don't have any words because <laughs> there are none. <laughs> like it, 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 you know what? It could work. Try it, guys. Go and try it. Tell me if it works. I'll keep I'll keep watching his win rate and see if it massively slumps. <laughs> <laughs> His play, his play rate goes through the roof and his, his win rate drops to like 10%. <laughs> ah, lol, he is shit. It's just that no one was playing him. That's funny. That's funny. But yeah, yeah I was going to say that it makes you really wonder who's playing it, what's what's the matchup you want to dissect and figure out what's going on, you know. Um, yeah. And it makes, me, it makes me think of the Adepticon Finals where a very unorthodox list went all the way to the end and I got to listen to the interview uh, with Chase because I want to hear about, you know, how he played it because I think it's fascinating. And, like, he beat three people, crushing wins, to play into the finals with that, with that neutral army, you know. So he's got to be doing something right. And what, what did he do, right? So I really, like, these stats make you wonder more and ask, ask a lot of questions. I, uh, I will say, do definitely listen to the interview if you haven't already. Um, my understanding is that he didn't play the one NCU list at all until the final game. So the one NCU oh. list had a complete zero percent win rate, and his mm. two NCU Vargo list won the other three games for him. So okay. that rhetoric that we hear about one NCUs being viable, well, it actually had a zero percent win rate, and okay, it only played one game. Right. But yeah, I do recommend listening to the interview. Um, it kind of sheds a light on the event from a the person who was there rather than through someone's rhetoric. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, play great. And, and, and this, and, but this, is, but this comes way, way back to your discussion earlier about Lannisters, right? As Nobno says in the chat, like, are Lannisters just a gimmick now? Like, and I do actually like this is the crazy thing. I don't think that Lannisters can put together anything wildly better than this list. And when we look at it and like it, it seems stupid from like so many different perspectives, it, it is it is possibly one of the best things that they can field. You know, like maybe not, you know, maybe maybe I'm overstretching it, but like at least this has a really viable game. It has a win condition. It has a win condition. Yeah. It has it has a game plan. It has a win condition. It's fucking fragile as shit but it has a plan also also it's game plan hopes that you fail the six plus morale <laughs> so that you get auto charges but on the plus side i mean if you fail the, if you pass the morale you can still go for a charge right <laughs> it's just that yeah. you know you just don't get the auto sense. anyway Actually, no, yeah. no, no. So, irony, this is actually the beauty of it. This means that Lannisters can place down corpse piles because it means mm -hmm. you're more likely to fail and then make the opponent fail their panic test, taking that extra damage that you need. Um, this is how you beat Harden spam. 
uh, is you take this unit and charge this into the unit that's hardened and just go make it explode. Um, and if it doesn't work, you can blame Carlo. There we go. Ah, oh, I got off score free from that. Nice. <laughs> yeah. um, you know what? If your Lance is a shit, blame me. <laughs> wow. I'm building the list right now. I'm just curious. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. All right. Wow. Legit. Might might try it out just to lower my yellow. We'll see. <laughs> next next time we see uh, Ariakas taking number one spot on the yellow rankings and you only see him playing Joffrey with Gregor. You know what? You, know what? You, you probably don't lose a lot of yellow for losing a bit, right? So it's actually nope. no a lot of risk. One of the fastest routes to being highly ELO rated is outperforming what everybody else can do with a bad rated thing. Yeah. Oh, man, there's so much more to talk about. I know that we were uh, mentioning you know, Starks. I'm playing Star a lot of Starks nowadays, but they're not as ranked. But that that's a long discussion. We can probably move on to event. <laughs> it's getting I, no, I mean, we're, we're approaching the three-hour mark, and uh, I mean, we haven't even talked about, like... <laughs> I mean, there was there was actually a U.S. Nationals regional qualifier run at the weekend. There was Fabricators Four. Yeah. <laughs> there is there is another one next week. There is like you know, there's all sorts of stuff going on. Uh, and instead, Ariakas sending us down, <laughs> sending us a down a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, I'm hoping to uh, to get chats in with uh, people from the event. Um, spoken to a couple of guys that attended, and uh, I'm hoping to have them on. But unfortunately, uh, Belisarius is uh, quite busy, and I was going to have. Uh, he's an avid watcher of the show, um, and he did want to uh, come back on. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's definitely, definitely, Ooh. definitely something I'm going to get him on because uh, I know he loves the yeah. show. He loves watching. I think that it was a really interesting event. You know, like um, I'm really glad that they managed to m make that greater than 16 breakpoint, which is like an incredibly harsh barrier uh, for their regionals to go from one qualifying player to through to four qualifying players. So you know, I, I think I think that it's only fair that that people can get up to that level. And I'm really glad that they have managed to. So you know, great great on them for doing that. Uh, I believe that you know Sunday Slaughter's event. Uh, are pretty you know, expected to be there as well. That one's happening in about a month's time. Mm. But I think it's really interesting that you can discuss whether or not each individual player felt that they were playing absolutely flat out competitively or whatever. This is definitely billed as a competitive event. This is people coming to qualify for those top four spots. Whether you come to win or not, people have got to be gunning for those top four spots. And those top four spots went to four different factions, which I think is a really interesting and good place for us to be, to bring it full circle back to like how close the factions are, how viable loads of different things are, but that we see Night's Watch, Baratheons, Targs, and Greyjoys, four different factions taking four different spots, I think is really, really interesting, really, really good. I think that if you held this event, you know, back before the nerfs, if we were talking about people being really, really hyper-competitive, you would have seen Night's Watch, Night's Watch, Targaryens, one other. Like, yeah. and, and you would have picked like three of the spots going to two Night's Watch and one of them going to a Mother of Dragons with almost 
absolute consistency. Yeah. And that now it is four different factions, I think is a really, really good spot. Looking in the Hall of Champions, you can see all sorts of different factions winning all sorts of events of various size. You will always find different people playing different factions and doing well with them, but I think that the variety is huge now, and that really does speak to speak to the competitive viability of a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the entries had a good spread of factions as well. Pretty, pretty even spread. Yeah. I believe they even have a neutral player, right? Oh, wow. I mean, they actually I did. Uh, no, they didn't. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah nearly nearly yeah um but speaking on that you know i know that uh rocket city um they've got a they've got a qualifier which is coming up next week Uh, i know that they're really hoping to get more signups so you know if people if people are at all in that area then i'd say definitely try and get along to that one it's going to be one of it's a much less well-represented faction, uh, much less well-represented area of the country in terms of uh, the competitive scene. And I think that it'd be really good to, you know, allow as many people as possible from the region to kind of get qualifying spots for Gen Con if they want. You know, uh, do, do you think uh, you'll be able to make it to 16, 17 for the Canadian event? Uh, do you know if that's on the cards, Ariakas? Do you know how many qualifying spots will go uh, Canada's way from this? Um, so I'm in, I'm in talks, I'm in talks to hopefully go next week, um, to the, to, to the Quebec event. Uh, I don't know how many players have got signed up yet. I, I did check on stats the other day. I think they had roughly eight to 10 players signed up, but I know, I know there's more. I know that, um, one local player is Mitch. He's for sure playing. He just hasn't, uh, let Ridge yet on the stats yet. So, uh, I'm going to talk to the partner today and we'll see if uh, I can go. I'm painting as if I'm going for sure. Uh, uh, but yeah, 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 yeah. So I hope to make it, and I'm I'm actually really excited because, um, as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of local stores in the area that are actually starting to run events again. Uh, I hope that all builds hype towards um, the Great Canyon Open happening in the summertime, Ottawa or Capital. Mm-hmm. I know that in the West Coast in the Prairies, there's been a group that's been developing and burgeoning as well. The Edmonton group has been doing well too. So it feels like you know there's a lot of a lot of uh, activity happening, and that's that's mm-hmm. really exciting. Yeah, no, it's really good. Yeah, There's but... a lot of. It's good to see that you know things are finally kind of like opening up in in Canada um, for more events. Um, they've obviously got the Grand Clash coming up uh, this this coming weekend, um, which will be hopefully really good. Um, and then is it the is it this one here, the Song of Ice and Fire tournament in Ontario, Canada? Is that the one? Yes, so there's yep. one happening. That's right. Sorry, that's I, I got confused. So you're referring to the one that's happening in Ontario. That is run by X Planet Games okay. uh, in, in Mississauga. And, uh, you know, I encourage them. They, they haven't heard about the stats site before. They knew I'm a, like a pretty influential person in our local community. They asked me. To Big name. <laughs> Somewhat. I'm just the loudest, I guess. So I said, yeah, we should have the stats site. And I talked them through how to like organize it. I said, you know, it does it all for you. It makes it really easy, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and they signed up, and uh, I know Black Knight Games in, in Hamilton's running an event in seventh for just like playing. I think it's their way of gauging how the community is. And I told mm-hmm. all my friends like we got to go down if we want them to run events again. We got to go down and show them that there's still players um, who are playing the game. And and I know that Craig is messaging me now to say, hey, that demo is really cool. You know, he's got a Lancer half painted, I've got a Stark half painted. It, we could then have a cool looking demo 
um, that one of us would have to man and, and to, to actually demo then, uh, which is fine. <laughs> I do want to. I, want, I do want to play games by myself. Um, but developing the community is going to be really important too. So yeah, you know, I'm excited because before COVID, those two shops used to run tournament every month, and it was great. Like we would just have an event to go to. There's always like practice games happening, and it really, really sharpened us. You know, so I'm really excited yeah. that we're going to be again. Yeah, nice, really good. Um, just good to see players playing like physically again. Um, no, we don't. Uh, we kind of like scan 3Ds on on Twitter ground every week, right? Just have a look at the events that are running. But I mean, this is a future event list, right? And it's massive, massive. Yeah. The number of events. I mean, if Mickey list. doesn't hide the uh, doesn't hide the map every single week, uh, it's actually um, it, it's full of dots. There's people, you know, there's there's there's, there's tournaments everywhere, particularly across Europe. It's you know uh, really good, but like the US has never looked so full either. Um, and, uh, and and I think that's great for the calendar. Looking forward, I think uh, I think I think the game is really starting to uh, you know start, starting to put together a very active scene. I think if anything, it's almost like uh, there's too many events in some areas. There's too many events competing for too few players. We we need to get as many players. Uh, to two events as possible. I think that anybody who can go to an event should should get there if they can to show those stores, those those clubs, those scenes that it's worth running in another one. You know, like the worst possible thing is, is if too many stores try and run them at the same kind of time without any kind of communication with each other and end up all thinking that they don't have like enough appetite for them. And so I really do think that people people should communicate with the store, even if they're not going, you know, even if they weren't going, they'd say like, oh, I wish I could come to this event, but uh, I can't that weekend because, you know, maybe my store's running one or I just can't. But if you're running another, I'd come like, you know, that's the kind of feedback that I'm sure like loads of these places would really love to hear. Um, and, and it has showed them that, that that there is interest in the game and it, those things growing for them. Because it's really, really not easy to like grow an event, grow a community. Um, it, it, especially from nothing, from very little, coming out of COVID, where like really people haven't interacted with the game for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, it's fantastic, isn't it? Um, I really hope that we just keep getting more events, and uh, and you know, there's plenty of events out there for for different people as well, be it like local tournament events or like the competitive stuff that we talked about before with the likes of the GTs and things. Um. So yeah, uh, I think we'll uh, we'll do our usual quickly run down the uh, tournaments happening around this weekend. Uh, for those of you who want to follow on, um... there's a super important one. Yep, the Song of Ice and Fire BTS Invitational qualifier. It sign up closes on Friday. List lock will be on Friday. As of next Monday, we'll, we will have pairings. We're at 24 people right now. It can go. At, I'll not allow more than 32. So uh, if you want to jump in, jump in. But probably more importantly, if you're signed up and did it ages ago, make sure that your lists are right. I will not be letting you change them afterwards. I will be putting everybody together in the Discord channel and sending you all a message. Those who don't see this, but... This luck, this Friday, TTS knockout. We'll see a big bracket next weekend, and we'll follow it along throughout the tournament. Nice. Um, so, we've got this weekend, Grand Clash 2022, happening in Canada, Quebec. 
hopefully Aracas is going to be there. Uh, we've got the Weekend Warfare event happening uh, in Germany. Um, this is the TTS event that the Tabletop Warden slash uh, German community are running. Uh, I believe uh, Naxlab is running it. Uh, probably butchered the pronunciation of that. Um, Thomas, uh, he's running it uh, as like a two-day event on TTS, not a weekly event, a two-day event where you would play your games over the weekend and people would hang out on discords and stuff between games, what have you, um, but also have, be able to have time and stuff. I believe it's a four-round event happening uh, two games on the Saturday, two games on the Sunday. Um, there will also be a final, I believe, that he's looking, hoping to have as well. Uh, so yeah, there's that happening. Then we've got uh, an event happening in Kazan in Russia. Pretty sure Kazan's in Russia. Um, so yeah, that's happening there. Uh, Common Ground Games are running uh, an ELO event uh, this weekend in Sterling as well. I uh, hope that that goes well. We've obviously got the Rocket City Nationals happening in uh, Huntsville, Alabama, as we've talked about before. We've got an event happening in Poland, because where would we be without a Polish event every week? I'm now saying every this week. literally is the thing I say every week. Uh, and then on Sunday, we've also got another event in Poland. This is a completely different city, though. Um, so, yeah, that's happening. And we've got another event in Poland happening on Sunday. Where would we be without three events in Poland every week? I know, week? right? And, uh, and a special shout-out goes to this Argentinian event that's happening starting on Sunday as well. But they've put it down as finishing on Monday. So uh, I'm guessing they're playing all the way... Well, it's midnight on Monday. They'll be playing all the way up uh, up until that kind that'll of... Just, that'll just be a time, time zone difference. yeah. It's cool, though. Finishing on a Monday. Is that on work? No. <laughs> uh, so I really hope I really hope all these events go really well. I really hope the Argentinian event goes well. Um, I believe that's uh, Piojo. Piojo. Yeah, he'll be running it. Um, or got his... Yeah. And they've got... Look at that, actually. 15 Ooh. players. Wow. Uh, so that's fantastic to see that that has really kicked off. Um, I'm actually well impressed by 15. I did not think I'd see 15 yeah. names somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 yeah, me neither. So that's wicked. Um, definitely a fantastic start for Argentina on the international uh, international scene. So I think that's brilliant. Um, cool. Do they get US US qualifying spots? Yeah. <laughs> um, I hope they do. <laughs> all right. Um, so. Ariakas, have you hmm. enjoyed being on yet again? I had a ton of fun. Love rambling about Summer Western Fire. Absolutely, it was great. Yeah. Great times. Yeah, we don't, we don't, we didn't talk with you enough. Um, after you like do useful stuff for us, like videos that I release, maybe it's a couple of months too late. Um, <laughs> 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 um, uh, yeah, no, it's obviously fantastic to have you here again. Um, and as always, very, very pleasurable. Uh, Carlo, uh, any thoughts from yourself that you haven't? Lannisters are a meme. Lannis is a meme. Okay, brilliant. I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, obviously all the best to yourself. I really hope you get to make it to, to Quebec. I uh, really hope you have a general run-up to your event as well. goes really well uh, into the events that you're planning um, to yeah. run in the future as well. Because um, mm -hmm. I know you've got other stuff in the pipeline, of course, with the demos and stuff is one thing, but events and stuff in the pipeline as well. Um so yeah, no, fantastic. Thank you very much for tuning in for a special episode that we didn't expect to record. But this man, because uh, he you know, works in education, he had the day off so he could join us. Uh, I mean, who wouldn't pass an opportunity to talk to that man? I know. I Aw, thanks guys. I appreciate that. It's very flattering. Hey, he wasn't <laughs> even going to be here. He wasn't even going to be here and you got him here. So. What? I. You're the one 
You're the one who was going to get so drunk that you couldn't work a computer, but it didn't happen. You're the reason why... You're the it's reason why we weren't going to have an episode, because you expected to be drunk to the point of paralysis. It's on YouTube. I remember this conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it is, it is. But you're the one who were going to egg me on to do it. <laughs> uh, and uh, and uh, King, who I'm 99% sure, also goes by Bane, also goes by Technic, also goes by Alan. <laughs> 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 has just joined but unfortunately we are done <laughs> <laughs> yes uh unfortunately alan you're a little bit too late you'll have to catch it on record um uh <laughs> please add the discord link ah if you need a discord link yes just uh i'm sure i can yeah just message us on discord it's fine just if you need anything um so yes um all right guys we'll leave it there for this week uh thank you very much for everyone who's watched uh thank you very much to those who attend and thank you very much, Ariakas. Uh, and all the best in the games this week. Um, and we will see you this kind of time next week when Baratheons will be number one. Obviously. See you later, guys. Ready, aim, release! Anyone see my mammoth? <laughs> <laughs>